tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you to make a call, and Leanne is producing today. Coming up on the show this morning, the new pedestrian crossing on the main street in Templemore is uh, continuing to concern uh, the locals. Uh, the N24 information evenings causing a bit of a stir. Is a cashless society approaching? Tip Today's village tour stops off in Lockmore, and Ali will be live from Lockmore uh, today, just after 10 o'clock, and we're looking forward to, to that. We have Detective Sergeant Declan O'Carroll joining us for this week's Garda update, and the gym does not have to be an intimidating place, and this follows on from a letter we got uh, in our dear Phil Slot yesterday. So all of that, and much, much more on the way. The text and WhatsApp is 83 311 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Let's have a look at some of the front pages, the Irish Daily Mail. Their main story uh, today, the Taoiseach has accused Sinn Féin of adding to the trauma of Ukrainian refugees as the party continues to change its position on migration. The Irish Independent and uh, their lead story, several RTE board members are expected to face strong calls to resign as a rather damning report into the waste of 2.2 million euro on Toy Show. The musical will be published very soon indeed. Um, The Irish Examiner and they're leading with the story that uh, all I ever wanted was somebody to say uh, they were sorry for what they did to my Eve. And uh, this is uh, what the mother of uh, Eve Cleary told a High Court judge as she gave evidence in the family's action against the HSE over the death of her 21-year-old daughter hours after she was discharged from UHL and uh, told to go home and rest, basically. Uh, Also on the examiner today, if you're following the whole Ian Bailey thing, uh, the remains of Ian Bailey have been cremated in a private ceremony in County Cork with no one bar crematorium and funeral director staff in attendance. Nobody at all there. Um, The Irish Times, and again it's a a HSE story, a continued uh, recruitment freeze in the health service executives this year risks increasing waiting times for patients, demoralising staff and providing poor value for public money. An internal draft document has warned. Now there's a change of tack for you. Um, Demoralised staff and... uh, Increased waiting times for patients because that's that's something we we never experienced before, of course. Um, also on the uh, Times today, two other stories that took my interest. Uh, the Irish mother of one of uh, three people stabbed to death in Nottingham last year told the killer he has violence in his soul and is responsible for our ongoing uh, pain and heartbreak. And also news today that banks that do not comply with the new rules to ensure access to cash and uh, ATMs around the country could face potentially large financial penalties, the Minister for Finance has warned. So that's a look at what's making headlines today. Do you want to make comment on any of that? And we'd love to hear from you again. That text and WhatsApp is 83 Now we kick off the show today with more concerns surrounding the new pedestrian crossing on the Main Street in Templemore and listeners 
were on to us to voice their opinions and local man Seamus Hasse has his own observations and he joins me now. Seamus, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you getting on? I'm very well indeed. Great to talk to you again, uh, Seamus. Um, at the pedestrian crossing, it's a temporary one, I gather, but it's causing a lot of concern locally. Um, I'm not too sure, to be honest with you. Um, I was kind of so busy out home there for the last week or two, I wasn't paying too much heed. Mm. Um, but I don't know, I'm, I, I, don't think it's a, I don't think it's a bad idea at all to be to be honest with your friends. You know? Even if it's worth to move the pedestrian down permanent, the pedestrian crossing permanently down there, because uh, it's kind of linking now between the pharmacy, Michael Highland's pharmacy, and straight across to the garden station. Mm. And, and I don't know, I'm kind of looking at it now and I'm saying, you know what, it's not a half bad idea because what it's actually doing is that it's giving pedestrians a full right away now to kind of come straight across the square and go directly straight up the park lane up to the park, you know? And, and, and because, from your point of view then, would it replace the one that's up near the town hall then? I, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I tried to make a phone call this morning to see what was going on with it. And nobody seems to know. It seems to be kind of... You know, I kept quiet for some reason. I don't know why. But anyway, okay, we'll figure it out as we go. Like, that's the main. And uh, is, there, um, is there work going on there this morning, can you see? Is there any work happening there? No, no, no. It is, uh, the guys are doing a great job here in the town hall, all right. Um, but down, yeah. down uh, heading towards the pharmacy and spar, there's just the pedestrian coffee. There's no one there, like, you know what I mean? Oh, well, and, so, and are the barriers still still there, Seamus, do you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, look, you're, you're going to have to have the barriers, like, you know what I mean? Um, that's just safety. Like, nobody just walks straight out all the shots, like, you know. But look, I presume if this is going to be a new permanent one, that they are going to fix up lights and they're going to send the other side of the pedestrian crossing, then across the other side of the square, heading up along the park lane, you know. Um, mm. That's my view on it. Look, I came here. I could be wrong. I could be 100% wrong. I don't know. No, so <laughs> Eddie, Eddie Moran was making the point to us. Councillor Eddie Moran was making the point to us yesterday, and it's a very good point, in that they, they put down this temporary crossing without having the lights there in the first place. So, I mean, it could have caused chaos there. Ah, uh, could have. It could have. Um, look, at. Yeah, I don't know. Look, that's a that's a hard one to put your finger on, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, no. Look, like in my view, right? Honestly, um, I don't know. Look, I don't know how the rest of the town feels, right? But my view on this now, right? You've lost people in the evening time go running around town, like you know. Like we we live here in the square now. We can see what's going on around town mm. all night. Like, yeah, yeah. You, you have parents with buggies. Um, you have people that walk with their pets. You know, if you have, you know, like it's a busy little town, like in the mm. evening times, like you know. Yeah. So my view on now is like, okay, right. So if I go if I go for a run, right, and I go for a run around the park. And I go to come out the, along the, oh, by the mall, let's say, come back up along the, the street again, get a spare. I can run straight across now from the river crossing, straight up to Park Lane. Right. No, I don't have to go. No, look, I know those are really small journeys. There are 50 metres up the road and across by the. Right, hall, but, but it, makes, it makes sense to you, Seamus, uh, as a local there. So, well, yeah. Well, like, like look, like, if, if it was done correctly, yeah. You yeah. know, you can make it make sense. Like, you know what I mean? No. Um, and the shop is very busy there, particularly I think since the post office went in there. So, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, it is, it is, like, yeah. it is, it is, a, it is, it is a very busy spot. Like you know, like I was told years ago now that the only reason that the pedestrian crossing was put initially between the old post office I and across the town hall, the other mm. side of the square, is because the post office was there. That was the main reason for the pedestrian crossing. Ah, okay. Okay. Know, no, look, and again, look, I, I, I think you're wrong. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but no, but I yeah, mean, yeah, that, yeah. That, that really makes sense, you know. So you think if it was developed properly in that position, it, it might be a good thing, Seamus? Well, think about it, right? If you if you can go straight across the square, straight up to Park Lane. Now, like, there's a lot of us in town out of stage that we're, we're, we're going to take we push to get the Park Lane here just 100% pedestrianised. Yes. Um, you know, because again, it's the entrance to the green area for the town and for the community. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so, if you had a free run from the, the spare shop, the pharmacy, coming the whole way across to the park lane, which are 
you know, with your parents and your buggy and your lads out running or whatever, like, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. a straight room the whole way, like, you know. Um, now, now, that's, that's my thinking of it, like. Yeah, so, and, and, and it makes sense too. We'll see how that uh, works out. What about the housing development there? Because that's what you spoke to me about last time you and I had a conversation, Seamus. What, what's the story at the moment? Yeah, yeah, the house development now is gone to, um, look, unfortunately, it had to go to Ambor Panada. We no choice, like, you know what I mean, you know? Yeah. Uh, there was 90 of us in the town, and I've, I've heard from an awful lot more people that I've called into that have said, like, you know, what's, what's, what's happening up there? Jesus, it's an awful shame that they could have the bungalows a few bits, like, you know? Yeah. Um, but you see, I, enough, like, a lot of people ask me the question, like, I understand that the county passed it, right? They're granted it. Now, that's fine, right? Um, but within the planner's report, Fran, um, there's, there, there, there's a good few questions to be asked, like, they basically said that these are all one and two bedroom apartments they want mm. to build here. The three apartment block going all the way up into the park, right? Mm. And each each apartment size is the bare minimum size requirement, right? Just so just get your head around that, right? The bare minimum size requirement, right? Mm. That's for able-bodied people. That's for people who can get up and walk, up and down staircases, all that kind of carry on, you know. Um, so, like the question needs to be asked: who, who uh, who's it being built for? Mm. You know. And, yeah. and that's what you're questioning. And I presume there's objections gone into the planning. Then is that is that right, Seamus? Yeah, when I went to the when I went to the council first, there um, there was uh, submissions put in against it there, and then uh, the council granted it um, questionably, I have to say. And um, then there was another group that was here in town had to bring it to on board for Right. When will you know more about this? Any timescale on this? Um, I thought I was kind of looking there, and you know, it was basically online. You know, cause it's very hard to know. Like, like now they're saying March, right? But if you look at any. Anything that's gone on board from all that, they're saying it takes anywhere from a year and a half to two years to get an answer, really. Like, you know, so I don't know, Fran. I don't, you know, I couldn't tell you. I don't know if it's in All right, so, Seamus. Well, uh, we, yeah. we certainly will be following the story anyway, that's uh, for sure. Great to talk to you today, Seamus. Look after yourself and thank you. Yeah, 100% Thank you, bye bye to you now. That's uh, Seamus Hassey there speaking to us in uh, Templemore. Now, listen around to us straight away to say two men erecting signs on the pedestrian uh, crossing since 9 a.m. this morning. So, about 15 minutes ago, that kicked off. So, fair play and thanks to uh, the listener in question for bringing us up to speed where that is concerned as well. Because a lot of people um, are very concerned after my chat with uh, Eddie Moran yesterday. Um, okay, somebody saying uh, Leo stated yesterday in the Doyle that they will not be putting 15 euro onto the broadband uh, fee to fund uh, RTE. Um, well, if they did, I'm sure it would have caused absolute uh, consternation uh, for sure. Uh, good morning, Tip FM. I love using cash as I feel I can budget my money better. I also thought it was legal tender, but uh, the cinema in Thurless is refusing it. No bank services in Templemore, and we're being forced to use cards and given no choice whatsoever. My understanding about that is, and again, I'm racking what's left of my brain cells, but I looked it up some time ago. They they can refuse cash in on certain premises if they give enough notice that they're refusing cash, if you know. Now, that's my understanding, and, you know, correct me if you can where that is concerned. Uh, somebody else saying, Fran, the original pedestrian crossing in Templemore was uh, put there for the purpose of safe access to and from the post office, and that's what Seamus said, and thank you for that. As the post office has been re- relocated, it makes sense to relocate the pedestrian crossing. The old one should now be removed. This is one of our listeners on 083 311 3311.
Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Ahead of another information meeting on the N24 today, Councillor Michael Murphy took us through some of the details yesterday on the show. Now, concerns were raised on social media that a lot more residential area could be affected than initially thought. And Councillor Murphy offered us some clarity on this uh, yesterday, but uh, one of our contributors, community activist uh, David Maloney, remains apprehensive about the project and he joins me now. David, good morning to you. Hello, Fran. How are you keeping? Is it fair to say, David, that you're kind of generally unhappy with the whole N24 project and how it's been presented? Uh, yeah, really. Uh, yeah. So first of all, I'd like to say I'm in favour of an N24, right? But I'd like to see it been built um, quickly and say, and that the road is safe, you know, and that the issues that people have will be raised uh, at an early stage. There's no point going for planning permission and people objecting to everything. You follow me and holding up the whole job. Then it could be put back for years and years. So that's why, sorry, with the knowledge I have from building motorways and roads in um, Ireland, England and in the Middle East, right? Mm. Right. I do have some knowledge, right, as to what the issues will be. And not, it's not only the end product, but it's also during the construction stage, how it will impact negatively on people. And from what you, because I know you attended the information um, uh, opportunity in CARE yesterday, and from what you gathered uh, there, what what are you making of the plans now? Well, sorry, just briefly, I mean, going from CARE to, um, down to Waterford, right? Mm. They're going to maintain the existing section north of CARE, which is 2, by, uh, two plus 1, um, dual carriageway. And then just explain, and, just to those of us who are confused by all of this, explain 2 plus 1 to us, David, will you? Well, it means that um, you have two, two lanes on one side, you have one lane at yeah. the other side, yeah. and you have a central barrier. Right, okay. Okay, so that's uh, so. What you have there is going to be uh, is going to be left there, mm-hmm. right? Because it'd be t- you couldn't really widen that after just building it so many a few years ago, right? So you have to live with what's there, and what's there is really will do the job, right? Mm. But it's not ideal. Yeah, but again, it's another situation where nothing was future proofed, you know, and then it's oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. it was, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, do, sorry do, have... do go on then, David. Yeah. Okay. Now, between CARE and um, Clamell, what they're going to do is they're going to build um, a dual carriageway, mm. which, again, is just um, two lanes each way with a central barrier, mm-hmm. which is a safe road and a good road. But uh, they're going to actually build it on the existing road, except they'll uh, take away bends and corners, right? So it will just um, move into fields along the route. But generally, it'll be on the line of the existing road. Mm-hmm. And that's the intention. But what's un- an unusual feature is what they're actually doing is they're maintaining, um, usually on a dual carriageway, you don't allow access out onto a dual carriageway from fields, farms, um, houses, because that is actually a potential hazard. Mm. But uh, but they're actually maintaining, um, um, you know, um, as I said, accesses right on the retained sections. The other big issue with building on an existing road Right, and you have to be careful because if you're building on an existing road, that means you're going to end up interfering with the existing flow of traffic. Mm-hmm. And at no stage should actually traffic be reduced to one lane 
each way and have a shuttle system because if you do that you're going to end up with long delays and tail backs oh, over a long period of time obviously because the build will yeah take, I mean yeah. it could add half an hour to your journey uh, yeah. journey easily but I know I worked in a job out in um, Oban right what they mm. actually did the contractor was he was it was a condition that he had to maintain two way traffic at all times so he actually had to build temporary roads you know when they wow. were building the existing road Right, but the cost of that would be prohibitive, surely, David, would it? Yeah, well, I mean, again, it could have been avoided too. I can't avoid mm. building the new road inside the fields. Mm. Follow me. Okay, so so take well, us through would, then. I mean, so a, a dual way from Care, so down to Clonmel, then joining up with what we call the the, the Clonmel bypass. Is that it? It is. Yeah, but sorry, one feature, another feature, but the dual carriageway. Yeah, is because you have a central barrier. Let's say you bought the barn estate, right? Yeah. If you had to, if you had the cash to do it, that means. Your farm is on one side, your buildings are on one side, and your house is on the one side. And on the other side of the road, you have 600 acres. So you have to cross the existing road now, right? It's a short journey. But if you have a central barrier, that means you have to actually drive into Clamel to a roundabout and drive back out again. So to get to the other side of the road, you might have a journey of five miles. Right, but will there not be some option there, like whether it's a, a bridge or an underground or something? Well, generally, they're against building bridges because they're expensive, right? Yeah. And I mean, and the whole idea on this road is build, um, is just build um, roundabouts for interchanges. Right. But I mean, there should be more. Maybe the, uh, see what should happen, and it ha- happened here at Limerick Junction. We ended up because we highlighted the whole issue, right? We ended up getting um, additional roundabouts, right? Mm. Do you know, right? Do you know, because they had actually designed the road to begin with, and you couldn't get off it to go into Limerick Junction, which was crazy. Do you know? But see, the, again, it's important to raise these issues at, uh, at this stage, right? Right, and uh, yeah. so that um, people know. And uh, okay, so take us down then to what's happening on the. Uh, by the way, do you disagree with what Councillor Murphy said to me yesterday that so few houses will be affected by this? It seems to be largely uh, farmland will be affected. Yeah, because if you look at the existing road at the moment, right, there is very few. I mean, it is what a ride a wide road, and there's very few. Houses on on both sides that main road going from Care say to um to to Clamel or from yes. Clamel down into um uh, into um Carrick and Shore, unlike the Tipperary section from Junction into Tipperary Town, right? But uh, the other issue I'd make about it, I mean, there's nobody flamassing people and saying, "Oh, your house won't be affected, your house won't be affected." If your house is not going to be affected, don't show it on the corridor. Is what I'm saying. Mm. Take it off the corridor because it was ridiculous in Tipperary Town. They actually had shown houses. And there was no way it would have ever been demolished because they never got planning permission. But, I mean, what they should do, and I saw it too, I mean, I had neighbours who were almost in tears because they got threatening letters that they might be evicted. You know, I mean, you don't send out letters like that when it's so obvious. Well, well, I'm sure, yeah, well, in fairness, they weren't threatening letters. They were informative, I suppose. Oh, they were, but they were telling people that they might have to leave their houses, right? Yeah. I mean, people don't want to leave their houses because a lot of older people, right, they look upon their houses where they brought up their family, right, and where they want to die. <laughs> mm. You know, mm. so I mean, so the last thing you do is tell someone they might be evicted because I mean, there's a, with the housing shortage, I mean, you can't get houses. Right, but but I mean, this is a really necessary project, David, and you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. Uh, even though it's very unfortunate for some families, but uh, you know, it's it, it's necessary, isn't it? 
Oh, absolutely, it is necessary. And um, I've no objection, right, to actually houses being demolished, uh, right, that yeah. are ne- that have to be demolished. I mean, what we had in a situation um, between Limerick Junction and Tipperary Town was there was going to be 20 houses going to be mm. demolished, right, which is actually a crazy thing to do, right? Mm. And even the planning engineers and the council said that was crazy. And by... Um, by, by the force we put on them. They actually moved the um, road into the fields. And actually the farmers are happier and everyone was happier with that. Mm. But if we hadn't done if we hadn't actually um, raised the whole issue, right? Yeah, because I, I know letters were delivered to people along the Clonmel Bypass, for example, to tell them yeah. that they were in the corridor. But when I, when I asked Councillor Murphy about this yesterday, he assured us that, you know, it's only a handful of houses that even even though you got that letter, you, you won't be affected by the by being on yeah, the corridor. But, but, but sorry, again, the point I make, right, there's always a possibility, right? So, I mean, if they're, if you're not going to be affected, and it's obvious you're not going to be affected, right, they shouldn't have shown the houses. They should move. I mean, the corridor's only a line, so they should have moved right. the line to show that those houses aren't going to be affected, right? Uh, well, you see, yeah, yeah, but you will be affected, I suppose, to some degree when the works start and all of that. So you, you have to be informed about that, David. Maybe, maybe. Uh, that's... Yeah, but I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah, but I'll tell you what's very ironic uh, about the whole situation. Sometimes you would be better off if your house was actually taken off you, right, and you were given a new house, because you could end up having a house, right, looking out onto the new, um, the new road, which might be elevated, mm. and. And what it would affect the valuation of your house and all of that, Absolutely. is that? Yeah, it could, yeah, and you could have yeah. noise and air pollution and all sorts of problems with this, right? And you don't get any compensation for that. And and what about previous experience you have? Um, if if your house was, you know, under devalued because of something, like, would you normally get? Compensation? Oh no, no, no. Well, you won't get any compensation for that, right? Right, but but in well, other jurisdictions, I mean, David. Um, Other projects you no. would have worked on? No, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. I'm allowed in the well, Middle well, East. Well, I mean, there, the therefore, as I say, you know, there will be losers along the way where this is concerned. But is that not inevitable in a project of this? Oh, absolutely, size? it will be. But I'm just saying, make the people aware. Right. Okay. And you know, stage, right? what what else did you gather from yesterday? Because again, I'm trying to get my head around this, and I'm really confused, to be honest with you. Um, well, I, yeah. Yeah. I would have thought they would actually have, because they're actually bypassing um, Kilsheelan, Carrick and Shore, yeah. and Moonkind. So I thought they'd have built a new bypass around um, Clamell, move it out away from the existing, right? You know, because there is a lot of roundabouts in Clamell, right? Now slope traffic anywhere, right? And the whole idea with the um, with um, road safety and everything. But right? what about the link roads, David? Won't they take some of the traffic from. They won't take much, because, I mean, if you're going into Clamell from, say, um, Feathered, right? You're not going back out onto the um, Cashel Road, you know. So, so you, you know, I mean, most people going to Clamell. So, so linking the Cashel Road and the um, Feathered Road, right, mm. is really only for the benefit of those going to the factories, right? But uh, one good aspect, anyway, about the bypass is they're going to build a flyover. Mm. Probably. So, right, and to, where, uh, where will that be? It'll be um, it'll be at or between the um, Feathered and the um, Cashel Roundabout. Right. Okay. Um, this is my understanding. This is phase two, is it? I don't know. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know what to go. I don't know. It's the display stage now, right? Yeah. No. No. But I'm I'm just wondering how this works with then the the care to Limerick Junction aspect of the N24. I mean, we, I, my understanding is we're at different phases and how will that link up? Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, they're behind us by about a, a year, right? Yeah. But, um, but, but actually, this seem to be 
you know, the drawings and the equipment, what I saw yesterday were far more, for far better than they had for the Limerick Junction phase, right? Yeah. I mean, what was crazy about the Limerick Junction phase is the name is even wrong. I mean, the name from Care to Limerick Junction is not Care to Limerick Junction, it's Care to Palace Green, yeah. you know. So people actually west of Limerick Junction think the road won't affect them, right? I mean, they got that wrong. And another crazy thing is, even today, they won't tell us whether it's going to be a single carriageway or dual carriageway. And, I mean, when I was speaking to the engineers yesterday, they told me the very first thing you have to know when you're modelling a new road is what 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 the road is going to be. <laughs> so are you saying that, OK, people have an opportunity now to go along? Uh, today, I think it's in the Talbot Hotel in Clanmel, tomorrow in Moon Coin, yeah. and in Carrick then on, on, on Friday. But are they not getting the full picture then of, of what's happening? Is that is that what you're saying to me? Well, I think uh, the people, are, they're, they're more or less... Uh, <laughs> they've been hoodwinked in a way, right? In that they're, I mean, the, the council are trying to make out everything is fine, right? And it won't affect you and this type of talk. I saw it all before, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so, right? I mean, it's very easy to talk like that because, again, it's in the council's interest to make out more or less everything that they're doing is great and it's not mm-hmm. going to affect you in any way, right? But that's not true. Yeah, but I, I mean, I'm sure they're doing their best. As I say, it's very difficult to to, you know, have a project like this without it uh, affecting people, you know, and their their homes and their land and all of that. But it's the greater good, I suppose, along the way. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm in favour of roads, right? Yeah. But I just say, right, I mean, I'll tell you, even on this section of the road, right, we found two another thing. Uh, um, there was no cycle path or, or um, footpath along the road. Mm. I says, well, what's going on here? I says, because the road from Limerick to to Cork has a cycleway and mm. a footpath which yeah. is separated, right? And and then I found out a month and a half later they actually had introduced it into the drawings. But I mean, there is no uh, footpath or cycle track between Care and Clamel. So if poor Eamon Ryan comes down with his bicycle, he won't be able to cycle from Care to Clamel. But you're concerned anyway, the influence of Eamon Ryan and the Greens on this would, would hold it up anyway. Oh, absolutely. It will hold it up because, I mean, the Greens... Right, the whole age is not to be building roads, right, to save us from um, climate change. But I mean, they have no regard for the fact that a new road is far safer, and that you could be saving um, to, uh, two and three mm. lives a year. And was there any indication should... about saving lives on uh, the? No, no. I mean, they should emphasise that more too, even for the purpose of getting funding, right? Yeah. Because what, what what can happen then? I mean, even the TII last year, right, late last year, said to Eamon Ryan, Eamon Ryan, do you realise that by your reluctance, right, there has been that um, there is 14 deaths in this country, right, by the fact we don't have safer roads. Mm. So, I mean, that is a very important thing, right, to emphasise how many lives will be saved, right, and how many serious injuries will be saved by the new road. Then you can have Matthew McGrath shouting in the door, right, to tell Eamon Ryan, we need funding to save lives. And see, that, that puts pressure on the likes of um, Eamon Ryan. You know, if you mm. say to him, Eamon, will you come down to the next funeral and sympathise with the people and apologise for not building a new safer road? Well, I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't be taking responsibility from that uh, for that in any way. Uh, but either way, I mean, we're talking about, and uh, Councillor Murphy made this point yesterday, we're talking about at least the next government where this is concerned. I mean, this is long-term stuff we're talking about here, isn't it? Oh, well, the next government isn't too far away, right? And mm-hmm. we said we don't want to have the next government with the Greens in it, right? They've done enough damage. Well, that that's your opinion, but I'm, I'm sure there's people out there who would disagree <laughs> profoundly with you on that. David, good to talk to you as always, and I know we'll talk again, and thank you very much. Bye. 
If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1-800-938-007. Now, much talk surrounding whether or not Ireland will become a cashless society as soon as uh, many shops and businesses moving to card only. Well, the money doctor, John Lowe, joins me now. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Frank. Great to talk to you and Happy New Year to you and the listeners. And many happy returns. Great to talk to you as well, John. Um, you, you were talking to Leanne about this and you, you believe society will go cashless over the next 10 years, John. I, I know the government has started making moves to uh, for supermarkets, pharmacies now to accept cash. Yeah. But it, it's inevitable. You know, I was recently over in London, uh, Fran, um, at the Tottenham Hospital Stadium, being a, being a Tottenham fan, of mm-hmm. course. Uh, and the first thing that hit me was that Tottenham Hospital Stadium is a cashless stadium. I, I brought sterling over, couldn't spend it. And, uh, you know, so it, it, it's, it's, you know, no matter where you go, um, uh, it, the people, first of all, you know, the shopkeepers are happy to get, uh, you know, cashless mm. uh, income coming in. Also, don't forget, it, it, it favours the banks because it, it's all about, uh, you know, staff and, and money and costs. Yeah. The cost to to uh, uh, maintain, for instance, the ATMs, ATM machines are are, are re- uh, you know declining, uh, and then somebody has to look after them. But is the government forcing the banks now to put back ATMs into towns and villages? That's that's part of it. Yeah, you know, it's it's a bit like you know the post offices when the post offices started, you know, shedding off you know branches. They, they um, uh, it, it, there was a hue and a cry uh, about mm, it, yeah. but um, uh, yeah, the same with the ATM. But it's inevitable, uh, you know that. Uh, you know, with uh, I personally have to say I embrace it <laughs> because uh, it's. I don't. Even, I can't even remember the last time I took out my cards to actually physically see my cards because I use my phone, phone yeah. Uh, yeah, all the yeah. time uh, tapping. And and like if, for instance, you, you if you you know it's not just fifty euros. You can uh, if you tap your phone for um, it, it'll take the whole lot uh, if course, you have a, yeah. a higher bill. Uh, the, the only, is there a sort of an urban-rural thing, though, about this? Because we, we, from our listeners here, John, we got a huge amount of people saying, you know, cash is king, we want to use cash. There was a big backlash against the GAA because they were insisting on people um, uh, not using cash going to club matches and, uh, and the like as well. So is there a kind of a divide there somewhere? There, there certainly is, I think, in that um, uh, not necessarily rural-urban um, that... Uh, uh, but I, I do think that people have become accustomed to to cash, and it's it's a bit like habits die hard. Mm. You know, you don't want to to lose something that you had, and I think that cash is also, as I suppose, for the for the, for the black economy. Um, mm. You know, yeah. you know, not even black economy, but you know, tipping you know your hairdresser mm. or uh, uh, the, the kind of restaurant, your local yes, restaurant, or charitable donation or something. Yeah. You know, there there are some yeah. restaurants now where the, the staff will actually come up to you and say, look, um, don't add it to the card. If, if you want to give us a gratuity, uh, we'll take cash. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know? it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, your latest publication, of course, Money Doctors uh, 2024, and in that wonderful, wonderful uh, advice about uh, budgeting and uh, the like. But that brings me to the, you know, when we tap, is it not easier to spend money by tapping than it is to take the cash out of your pocket, John? It's it's much easier. I mean, physically, uh, security-wise, 
uh, even cost-wise, it's, it's easy just to tap. Um, because, again, uh, there, there are benefits to uh, not having to uh, go... Do you remember during COVID? I mean, people yeah. were very happy not to have to, you know, touch notes yeah. that, that would have been, you know, um, have germs all over them. And they even say that, you know, when, when you have touched the coins or, or, or notes, wash your hands afterwards. Mm. That's interesting. So your prediction anyway is within the next decade, you think, cash? I think, I think that certainly by um, 2034, uh, we will have a cashless society. Interesting indeed. Um, something else that interests me greatly is that you're encouraging young people now to budget and to save and all of that. And I love the fact that some of um, some of this was driven by your own son and a question from him. <laughs> yeah, it was. This is a guy, by the way, he's, he's now, you know, a little bit older than the 19 he was uh, when he was in UCD studying B&L. Yeah. <clears throat> this is a fellow who never failed an exam in his life, you know, chartered accountant, masters in finance, now in corporate finance, but at 19 years of age he's in UCD fan and he says Dad, what's an overdraft? <laughs> and, and I said to him, I said, yes. there's something wrong with, with, with our schooling system that you can go through college and, and school and, and pass all your exams and then ask a question like that. So, uh, in, in, the, in the latest book, there is a, a separate mini book at the end with its own index called yeah. Teenagers, You and Your Money. And last September, this went out to 60,000 um, TY students, on an e-book for free to them. And every year this is going to happen. So the 2024 book, which is uh, only out and is virtually sold out at this stage, um, this is going out next September by e-book. There's a code going to every TY coordinator and teacher in the 729 secondary schools. And they give that then to their TY uh, students and they download that book for free, the entire book, not just the mini book, which is 150 pages, by the way. It is indeed, and a very, a very fine tome it is too. I'm, I'm just wondering though, is it encouraging young people to save or is it giving them a general education around money and budgeting and the like? Uh, it, that's exactly what it is. N- yeah. Not not just to say, but if, I mean, you know, you start off maybe as a seven, eight year old. You've you've, you've just opened your mum and dad have just opened maybe a credit union or a post office mm. or a bank account, yeah. and uh, then you're you're starting to thinking. You know, you've, you've you got maybe your communion money, and so maybe your mum and dad says, to "You look, you know, keep that in in the account." And now when it when it's your father's birthday, go and buy him a little birthday present, a small one, and then for Christmas as well, so that you're independent. And, and you start off from there, and by the time you're, you're 15, 16, you're, you're now, you know, in the full throes. I mean, again, if I had that book when, when I was uh, 13, 14, I think I, w- I would be slightly different now today. Interesting. And would you advise where pensions are concerned, for example, or is it much too early to even discuss that? You know, it, it, I, I honestly think that even uh, 16, 17 year olds should even start thinking about pensions because by the time those those students reach pension age, there won't be a state pension plan. And you know, I, I had a 26 year old girl in with me a few months ago to set up a peer essay in the office, and um, I went through the whole thing spoke about what was happening with, with the pension, the auto-enrollment, all that kind of stuff. And then she was visibly upset at the idea that she had already missed out on two years' pension contributions. Because you know something? The pension is the best investment in Ireland currently, bar none. You, you think about it, if you're on 40% tax rate, and for every 100 euros you're putting into your pension, the government is giving you back 40 euros. So that means you're up 40% before you start. You now 
add the average annual growth from 1991 to 2020, average annual growth in the stock market was 10.72. That means you're, you're earning over 50% in, in that one year. I don't know any investment that'll give you that kind of return. It's very interesting. And, and, and again, you know, sometimes we just don't want to have that discussion, even when we're much older than in our 20s. Is it something about <laughs> confronting our mortality or something? I'm not sure, John. Well, there's a, there's a bit of both. It's also the fact that some people um, they simply haven't got it. They can't put yeah, money away. I mean, if you're, uh, you know, 30 to 40, you can put 20% of your net revenue, that's a fifth of your annual income into a pension you get. And if you're under 40% uh, tax rate, you get 40% back. However, you may have mouths to feed, you may have things to buy. Yeah. I mean, it costs 42000 to send one child to third level. Wow, that's that's you know, very, so that's all very of those sobering, things, yeah. All of those things come in, and it's all about planning, Fran. You know, and, and this is a brilliant, brilliant time of the year to do that. And how you start that, by the way, is uh, you do a budget, a monthly budget, so that you work out how much does it cost us to run our lives on a monthly basis. Now, I'll send you down uh, a budget planner spreadsheet to you, and you can pass it on to your listeners. Um, this is an easy, simple, uh, all the categories, tops itself up, and you're left basically with a surplus or a deficit because it takes away from your monthly income. I'm just looking at uh, the screens in front of me here and just to sum up uh, some of what's coming into us here, the general concern about moving from cash to to tapping or or, or whatever is that we're being tracked in some way and there's a kind of a paranoia around that. Uh, Is is that justified in some way, John? There is, because that's where we're going. We're all being tracked. I mean, Big Brother is out there. You go, you bring your phone uh, and and you walk into, say, um, a a hat shop, a milliner, uh, and you come out and and it'll it'll show you hat adverts immediately. You know, so you are being tracked all the time. In fact, you know, uh, don't they say, I think in the Bible, uh, with the book of Revelations, the the mark of the beast? I mean, this this is what we're talking about, you'll have soon a, a, a kind of chip put into your wrist and you, you'll go down to the supermarket. You won't even have to tell them what you need. They know. They know what's in your fridge, what's in your pantry uh, and what you actually need. Um, you know, there was a very funny um, uh, ske- sketch uh, whereby, you know, the uh, Alexa is having an argument with, with the main guy because they said, no, you, you can't afford to take that because you've got a problem with your, you know, your stomach and you can't eat that kind of food. You know, where, where is it going? Where, where is, is it going? going indeed? And AI on top of all of that then. Um, 2024, John, um, cost of living and all of that. I mean, we're seeing in fairness, uh, some of the energy costs are cutting back a bit, but still nowhere near what they were, I suppose, four or five years ago. So what what can we expect this year? Well, it, it, certainly interest rates are coming down. It's going to be a little bit of a respite for the hard-pressed uh, mortgage holder. Um, and, and with the cost, with those kind of interest rates coming down, uh, it'll also mean um, deposit rates are, how, how, you know, they're still pathetic, but they will also come down yeah. as well. Uh, there's, there's a move as well, Fran, um, for people to look uh, abroad. Uh, like there's a couple of websites that offer, um, you know, deposit uh, accounts in, for instance, uh, Portugal that offer maybe 3.65. What you've got to bear in mind is that um, monies that are, are outside of Ireland are, do not deduct dirt tax. 
tax. So therefore, what they do um, uh, expect is, number one, you return it. Number two, you'll have uh, income tax, PRSI, and universal social charge deducted from it. So you're looking at maybe, you know, uh, as, as much as 52% potentially that could be taken away from the interest that you earn. So I just ask, you, uh, ask myself, is it actually worth it? Right, but certainly do your research, and uh, that seems to be very important. Yes. Uh, yes. The book is called Money Doctors 2024 by John, I, I was just reading. Is this the nineteenth publication? It, it is the nineteenth. Oh yeah, my God, John. years! I can't believe wow. it either. Wow. And you, I, I, I was on the first program with you, Fran. Yeah, God, I'm aware <laughs> of those years gone. John, congratulations! I know Thank it's almost you. sold out, but I think there may be some copies in some of the shops out there. There will, there, there are, of course. Yeah, twelve ninety nine. All recommended right. retail price. Uh, Thank you, Fran. Thanks, John. Thank you, and bye-bye. You know, that's the money doctor himself, John Lowe, speaking to us uh, there. Let's go to uh, one of our listeners. Helen is with me uh, now. Helen, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How uh, are you? And you're still of the opinion, Helen, that cash is king? I am, yes, absolutely. Uh, every time we use a card, yes, I know that we've been tracked even by our phones, but yeah. it's tracking exactly uh, where... You know, what shop we've been to, what we've bought. Um, there's also the thing that if, supposing if the internet is down and you only, and now we're cashless society and there's only a card, well, it's tough. You can't buy anything. Didn't that happen at a music festival somewhere? Um, it did. Yeah, yes. I think, I think it was a couple of years ago or whatever. So, so and do, you, do you always use cash if you can, Helen? Is that the way it is? I, yes, I do. And even if I'm buying something like, you know, I wear glasses and when I'm going get buying, getting new frames and glasses, I go to the bank and I withdraw what I need to pay for the item. I will not, unless it's something I'm buying online, I will not I will not use a card. Uh, there in the news, by the way, we're saying the news about how uh, the government is grandstanding and how they're going to make pharmacies, uh, supermarkets and convenience stores have to accept cash. Yes. But what they're diverting our attention from, because some people go, oh, that's great. Not really. What they're saying is everywhere else doesn't have to. That cash yeah. is no longer legal tender. That's yeah. the, I mean, it's either legal tender or it's not. Yeah, well, I remember looking that up uh, some time ago. And again, I'm, I must do so again. But to the best of my knowledge, if a shop or a premises, if they give you X amount of notice that they're not accepting cash, that that's fine and legal. But then you see what they go up against is the internet is down. And yeah. they certainly accept cash. And if they accept cash, then... They're they in trouble. Yeah. They have to check or else refuse our business. Uh, and when I, you I, say I that think... when you're buying your glasses, you, you, you go and you take out your cash to pay for them, is that because of a privacy thing, do you think, Helen? Or is it just it's, on principle about cash? It's privacy and it's principle. And it's also each business that... Um, so if I went in, go into my uh, local officials and I paid by card, the percentage of what I pay in the card would have to be paid by them to the bank. Right, yeah. I go in and I use my cash. Percentage isn't taken off that to go to the bank. Yeah, and and, and yeah. I take your point on that, but it seems to me that still shops prefer you to pay by by card for some reason or other. That that seems to be the impression I'm getting anyway. Well, I suppose one part of it is is that when a person pays by card, there can't be any um, 
misappropriation <laughs> misappropriation of funds I know I know exactly yeah, what, what, yeah. what you're saying to me um, that's exactly it yes. John Lowe who was on with us earlier on is a bit of an expert in this field and he seems to believe within 10 years whether we like it or not Helen it'll all be cashless well this is the way I look at it whether we like it or not, puts chills down my spine. Now he could well be right because even during the pandemic, we were we were actually it was actually an opportunity for the government and financial organisations to see how, how far they could push us, and then get it into that that field of tap your phone, tap with your phone, and um, use a card. And actually, just for a day about tapping with the phone, mm. where we are having it. You know, if you see something often enough, you begin to believe it. Watching, for example, my I, something I just I dislike, but it's my one of the things I'd like watching Fair City. Every single person when they're buying something on that so taps their phone. That goes into a person's psyche. So it becomes the norm, so to speak. Helen, that, that's, that and it? and I think it is disastrous. I think if we refuse to get into using the card for everything and continue to use cash and push cash a bit more. Like, I grew up with using cash, so I, I, at the card, I still kind of go, oh, for God's sake, at least I know where I am with cash. Yeah, I, I was a real cash person right up until COVID, and then I got into the habit, and this is playing into what you've been saying, Helen, I got into the habit then of using my phone to pay, and I'm still in that habit now. I haven't really gone back to to cash, even though I was a great advocate for putting my hand in my pocket. Because then, I'm, I'm useless with money anyway, but at least I knew how much I had to spend, you know. Yeah, well, when you're paying cash, you do know exactly what you're going yeah. to spend. Uh, and the other thing about it is, as you say, it becomes a habit. Yeah. And it's a habit that, that really anyone who's in it needs to break because once we become entirely cashless, banks and governments can decide whether we buy anything where we spend it, how we spend it, if we spend it at all. It won't be our money anymore. You get your salary. That's your salary at all, Fran. It will belong to the government. And they'll decide whether Fran can spend it or not and how he spends it. And if Fran has said something they don't like, oh, that money might go. Now, and not that there's money anymore. And, uh, and the other thing is, money has always been used. It goes back so many thousands. Yeah. It does, yeah. We still find old coins from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So, yeah, yeah. We follow the money, Fran, is what we do. The Rothschild family is one of the biggest families in America and they are behind it and there are others. And it is no, it is also no, no. Um, now, Helen, are you trolling yeah. the internet on this? On this oh, no, it is. <laughs> no, the Rothschilds come up in just time and time. And time again, I just know that they're one of the families that yeah. there will be, and they're behind so many other things. There's no mistake, by the way, that America is supporting Israel. Follow the money. If there is a problem, a war, um, any issues, even during the pandemic, what do you do with the pharma companies? Follow the money with the oh, with the death sign. You're, you're you're getting very cynical, Helen. You know that. You're... You know me now, Fran. I'm <laughs> I've become quite cynical of this world, and um, yes. yeah. But but do you not feel helpless about an awful lot of this, Helen? That it's sort of taken out of our hands, and these decisions are made somewhere else, whether it's in Europe or globally or whatever. You know. 
get frustrated about it. But all I can do is, I just say, I'll do my best. I will continue to use cash for as long as I can so that if we lose cash altogether, at least I can say to my grandson or if I have more grandchildren at that stage, your nana stood up for this and she would not allow um, the, the card to rule her life. And it's the same with so many other issues that I've stood up for that I don't sit back and go, oh, what can I do? I'll go, what can I do? Let me not be a victim. Well, Let me be part of, instead of being, um, I want to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. Well, well said you, Helen. Well said. And lovely to talk to you today, Helen. And look after yourself and keep spending cash, won't you? I, listen, and you get into that habit now, Fran. <laughs> Next time I see you, I'll say, hey, would you have an old tenor there for a coffee? We'll go for a coffee. <laughs> Good luck, Helen. Bye-bye. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's uh, Helen. News is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip today. Yeah, I was just double-checking uh, that. And currently, a business can legally refuse to accept cash as a means of payment as long as it clearly displays its policy to customers. So that currently uh, seems to be the rules and uh, regulations. 83 311 uh, Jamie was on to say, I was in Brussels recently, they would not let me pay for a product in a shop with cash. The product was only €2. Euro. Um, hi, Fran. At the moment, there are many places without electricity and uh, they, this has been the case since Monday. So how can they use their cards? Um, somebody else saying, for those who remember, before we went to the euro, all the banknotes had legal tender printed on them. Helen says, here's another nana who will continue to use uh, cash. Um, uh, Fran, I used cash all through COVID. And somebody else warning, Fran, if you drop your card, whoever picks it up can tap away all day if you don't know that you've dropped it. So there you go. Um, all right, then let us move on because we're off on our village tour again this week and Ali is in Lockmore. We will go live to the cottage in Lockmore in just a little while. But first of all, Ali and John G took a walk around the village just to discuss the rich history of the area. Okay, John, week two of our village tour and we find ourselves in Loch Moor. Now, I suppose very well known for the cottage, which we'll be uh, going to later on. Also, it's GA team, which is an absolutely inspirational team. Yeah, yeah. And we're here at the heart of the village uh, in view of Purcell's Castle. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. You see, these people up here, they were an island one time. They only understood the game. You guys down there in the South Tipperary understood with a big ball. That's where we all, I always did. Never saw them. They were an island. And that's the thing I'd love to find out. 
about why did football become so huge here where in such a hurling territory where then outside of that really it's to a large extent only in South Tipperary so it's that's a question we'll have to try and find out when we pop in into the cottage but it's a lovely place absolutely and of course when I was growing up it was all football but they proved that it can be equally good at the two sports and I think a couple of years ago there they won the two championships in the county the two senior championships so you're really envious down there in the south aren't she yeah you can't even win one for an area this size to have that success in a GA club it's really unmatched unmatched absolutely and it's it's a relatively small parish but what I'm told is I asked them one time and what they said was that when the school's here the retention rate about 90% of people keep on playing the game whereas in most parishes only 40 to 50% so that must be the spirit here but then of course they're a bit of an outlaw about him here and I only found out about it lately and we must find out more about that because there was an outlaw here Jeremiah Grant and he's well known around here and he was put to death in 18 um, in 1815 uh, and he was uh, an outlaw and it, but that's very late for an outlaw in Ireland if you go back to the more famous ones you know she had of Eamon and all of those fellas uh, Crotty the Robber in South Red they were all from a much earlier period and it's very I just wonder was he a real outlaw or was he somebody who's just evicted and then tried to fight back and was put to death for that so we'll, we'll have to find out because he's one of those ones I don't know an enormous amount about but I know there was a lot of them around but most of them were earlier but then isn't that a magnificent castle yeah. isn't it and that's if I always said the first time I ever saw that you know when you're going to Dublin on the train, you know you know you're nearly at home when you see the Purcell Castle because the railway line is beside it. Yeah. Absolutely, and they were the Purcells, and they came in. They came in as Normans into Ireland, and they would then have been intermarried with the the, the Butlers, and they would have been granted land here. So this was a Purcell Castle. Now initially, this was all kind of uh, wild territory for those kind of people, so they didn't feel safe. So the south that looks like a, a town a house now but to the what it started off originally to the south you can just see it there it was actually a castle you know these square castles you see all around yeah. Tipperary they're not actually castles they're tower houses but that was a tower house and then when they felt a bit safer and the, you know the parcels they began to build because Tower houses are very uncomfortable and dark to live in. They began to feel safer. They built a, a house with big windows. And they were here then up to the beginning of the 18th century. But as far as I know, we have to find out this as well. I think what happened to them was they were very powerful and quite popular. But I think they backed the wrong horse in the, at the Battle of the Bind. They, they backed King James instead of William of Orange. And they were no longer in favour at that stage. So I think they kind of died out here in the 18th century but the great story is and we have to find out more about this next this year i understand in june the parcels from all over the world are coming here i'm told it's booked out already now mary will be talking to her in the cottage she'll know more about that but i'm looking forward to that and i think that's the way to go with tourism because in the past you know we'll say when people went to spain all they see it was one size fits all. If you had a pub, a pool and an apartment, you were fine. Mm. If you came to Ireland, you did Dublin, you did the Rock of Cashel, Kerry, the Cliffs of Moho, Ring of Kerry, maybe up to Connemara, back to Dublin. But now people are demanding they have specific interests, whether it's history, mindfulness, spirituality, and we have to mind that the, the tourism market isn't one size fits all, and this is genealogy, and I think this could be huge for all the other Irish families who have so much diaspora mm. around. It'd be 
interesting to see how this works. It's next June. want to find out more about it, but I believe it's nearly booked out already. Wow, that's fantastic. Another well-known historical story from here is the very tragic case of the McCormick Brothers. Yeah, Cormac Brothers, yes, absolutely. And that's another one. I mean, the first thing is they were, everybody agrees that they were innocent. So even when they were, which must have been a terrible thing, you realise you're going to be hanged for something you didn't do. And what really proves that, I think, for me, is that they would have been Catholics. So they would have wanted to go to heaven when they died. So most under pressure of when you when get then we are going to be hanged anyway most people would come out and admit their crime you know they'd admit their crime get a confession that they on as they were putting the noose around them they were still denying that they had anything anything to do with it it's a fascinating story it was a john ellis who was shot and you say the first thing you look for uh, you know what's the motive he was the agent of the trance and he, they were the landowners in the area part of the area of lockmore around here and he was hated, particularly when people during the famine weren't able to pay the rents. He evicted them. It seems he bought some of the land then as well as that. So who had a motive to murder him? Everybody. You know, that was about it. But the problem is that at that stage, you still had what you would call, I would call them, you know, the aristocracy. The power was still there. It was beginning, the landowner power was beginning to dissipate. But they were fighting back because at this stage now, Catholics all had, well, all the Catholic freeholders had a vote. How powerful was that? Not very powerful. And the reason is they were all tenants. And when you went in to vote, your landlord would be sitting there watching you. And you had to say public you were voting for. If you didn't vote for who he wanted, you were out on your ear. So, in fact, it was 1872. That was the big change when secret ballots came in and that led on to the Irish Parliamentary Party, Parnell, a whole lot of things that, that started the whole, the, the, the whole thing here. But they were trying to hold on to their power. And so I'd say the feeling was it didn't matter who exactly was going to be hung for this? Somebody had to be and hung for it. And there was there was a feeling that something that their sister had was having some kind of a liaison with this guy Ellis, and therefore they had a motive. So that was good enough. We have some kind of a motive, and so there was a trial up in uh, in Nina. Now, no, everybody believed they were innocent, but there was this carefully selected jury up there, drawn from the aristocracy and and funnily enough the first jury disagreed so they just said okay no we won't we won't release them just go along and we'll bring in another jury and this jury was even more carefully selected and then even though he was a catholic uh, the judge was killed and he was famously harsh, famously tough on defendants and that kind of thing. Maybe because he was a Catholic, he had to prove himself twice as much as a Protestant judge would. So all was laid against them and they were hanged in 1858. And they were buried up in Nina. But then you had a huge growth of nationalism. You know, all this thing that came along at the end of the, 19, of the 19th century. And there was a big thing then to actually get the bodies back here. And so they were brought back. And the crowds that turned out, because suddenly... Now, a lot of people will probably think, you know, who don't know much about this, actually, they were something to do with the Fenians, or they were something to do with... They had nothing to do with that. But for, this, for some reason, it was such 
un, unfairness and you know it, it kind of all the anti-British sentiment built up yes. and the, the, you had a new nationalist community who wanted Irish independence and I believe for miles out of Nina the roads were lined with people it was unprecedented but what it showed was this new reawakening and I think you know that was the thing that the British should have been watching out because when this kind of thing is happening you're going to get the Irish volunteers that's going to lead on to 1916 it's going to lead on to the war of independence but I don't think they saw it coming but I think this was a phenomenon of a huge change it was the last moments I think of the power of the land owning aristocracy and which they always did so like Father Sheedy down in Clahine you know whether he's guilty or not he's not on our side we'll find a head and we'll get rid of him but it'd be wonderful now won't it to come down here and maybe tease all what I love is I kind of know a bit about history but the local people can get in there so we've got to find out about Jeremiah Grant the parcels coming here as well and the other thing I'd love to find out is we know they were innocent, of course, but there's a rumour that on his deathbed, somebody, a landowner here, admitted that he was the guy who shot Ellis. If that's the case, that, of course, ties up the case yeah. 100%. So we ramble down. Isn't it lovely? You're there before yeah. the cottage. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. It's great, isn't it? Just on our way to the cottage, John, and we pass by the mill, and it's great to see work going on there. It certainly bodes well for the future. Yeah, isn't this? I mean, nobody would think of this as you know maybe at the moment a tourist attraction but has huge potential it's a real heritage village and look you have the little uh, thatched house there the castle we were talking about earlier on we have the grave of the Cormac brothers and then if you go over there you look at the mill and this was a mill now fascinating it's a very very large mill uh, but it shows that even all of course mills at that stage had to be built there was only one source of power and that was water water so if you went to Clonmel or Kilkenny all the breweries, all the distilleries, whatever, where would they be? They'd be lying down along the rivers. And then, of course, this is good farming land all around us, maybe a lot better than last week when we were in Upper Church. And so you could grow corn. So they would probably have grown wheat, barley and oats. Now, these mills then would have been uh, designed to mill those and, and uh, to create flour or perhaps supply barley onto uh, the breweries as well as that. Now, again, you can see then what they would have done is there's a mill wheel over there and they would have actually diverted the water. So even the shore isn't very big here, but if you build a mill race and you get sufficient water flowing through it, you can actually power an industry here. So another time I think it was a sawmill, but I don't know exactly what they did here, who built it. A lot of capital, when capital was shocked in Ireland, must have gone in to uh, building this. So like, you know, there was, it's great to see it. there was industry out here at that time. It's great to see what's going on, like it was in Upper Church. Yeah. And of course we're going to go on down now, and I'm sure when we get in there and we walk in there, we'll find there'll be the cafe, will be a hive of activity, which is called a cottage. Yeah, and as we walk down there then, I mean, the cottage really became a bit of an outlier and also broke the ceiling, I think, for a lot of rural communities and what they can do to kind of regenerate their own communities. Yes, well... 
if you go back, I liken it to, to 19th century uh, Ireland. If you go back to there, the first Horace Plunkett, the first cooperative was set up down in Brewery in County Limerick. And it spread like a, cra- cra- a prairie fire across the country because there was demand for it. There was a real need for it in communities. This the cottage was set up about 10 years ago here, the first community cooperative cafe in Ireland. And I think now it's spreading all the time. Uh, there's about eight of them, I think, in Tipperary alone. There's about 30 nationally. I know a new one has been opened up in Barangary lately. Another new one has been opened up in Moneygall. And was Lockmore the first? Lockmore was the first in that model. I mean, some people, there would have been uh, cafes in small areas yeah. as well as that, but set up on cooperative principles, this was the first one. And like people are coming along to find out about this model. I think it has, you know, huge potential because without that, if you don't have that in a village, where's the heart of the community? Mm. Where would we meet everybody this morning? Even you have pub and there's a pub surviving here. But that's not going to cl- open until about 8 o'clock at night or whatever. So they're wonderful. And it's gas to see, you know, they all, I mean, um, a farmer, you know, and I went into one of these cafes lately and a man you'd normally expect like would have a pint or a cup of tea and uh, he wanted his, you know, his uh, cappuccino. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> so from, from cappuccinos, pines to, he was from rare. pints to cappuccinos, isn't that right? And we okay. were—I'd say we were all rare. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're let's go. Way. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Good morning. We are live at the cottage in Lockmore this morning as part of the Tip Today Village Tour. We have so many wonderful people to talk to from this fantastic community and that is the whole point of this village tour is to showcase the great groups, the great communities and the great people in the villages of Tipperary. And we're going to start in Lockmore and as we mentioned uh, during our walkabout as well, the cottage and the pivotal role that the cottage plays in this community and Mary Fogarty was the force behind that. Mary, thanks so much for having us here this morning. Good morning, Alison. And at the outset, can I just thank TipFM, yourself and John G for affording us the opportunity opportunity to showcase what we have here. You really are doing wonderful work for all the rural villages in Tipperary. We're the rural villages are the heart and soul of our yeah. county and you're doing wonders for us. It's like as if you're an extension of our community. Oh, that's so kind of you, Mary. Yeah. But I mean, the cottage here, it's so unique. I mean, there are so many communities and villages who are listening to this who'd say, God, I'd love an old cottage in our community. But I know there was a lot of hard work and there was a lot of, of I suppose, sleepless nights that were put into it too. Oh, I love of hard work. Yeah. When Maeve and I started out uh, 12 years ago, it was just the two of us. But it has grown now to mm. such an extent that we now have employed 12 people, uh, let it be part-time or you know full-time. And we work with our amazing volunteers who come here every week and people with needs and special needs. So it embraces every member of our community. Yeah. And it's mighty hard work to keep it together. We open seven days a week. But like we have the most amazing staff, the most amazing people work with us who all want to be here and to do something for 
for our community. We work on a not-for-profit basis yeah. and everything goes back to the community. It may not be monetary, but the value of what we have here couldn't be measured. Yeah, and you have so many other communities now who are looking to replicate oh, what you do. have here. We do indeed, yeah, we do indeed. We have helped ourselves, we've helped about 20-odd more to open up, but I had a lovely surprise there just before Christmas. A man from Templemore came in and he'd been up visiting his sister in Sligo and he brought back a calendar from a community up in Sligo that had opened themselves. So it's actually mushrooming it by itself. Yeah. We don't actually have to physically anymore help these people because it was saying Kilkenny, they help the Kilkenny communities in Sligo, they help the Sligo communities. Yeah. But I'd say with, uh, without a hesitation that there's one in every county. And it started here. Oh, it did, yeah. There's yeah. seven in Tipperary now, there's four in Kilkenny. So from north to south, all over Ireland, plus like the European, we're being, um, this model has been replicated in Europe as well. You know, we went out to Slovenia and Hungary to showcase this, and now they are coming here to see what we're doing in Ireland. So thank you, Horace Plunkett, for showing yeah. us the way to operate um, um, a cooperative. Yeah. It's a wonderful way to work. It, it just brings everybody together, and everybody feels good for doing good. Yeah, and it's, I know you have a great relationship with the school as well, and we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, tell me about Seamus. He's ready to go here. Seamus is one of our most loyal, wonderful volunteers. He's my brother. And I'm very proud of him. And he, Seamus attends St. Cronin's and works in St. Anne's in Ross Gray. And I think they're listening this morning. And before I forget it, yeah. we have people listening from Australia and we have people listening from America this morning. So to give them a shout out Absolutely. as well. But Seamus is one of the most loyal volunteers that we have. He looks after our garden for us. He looks after an awful lot of works that nobody knows he does. Yeah. But he's a wonderful man and he's a very talented musician. And now he's a poet. Yeah, we, we yeah. look forward to reading it. Yeah. Seamus, tell me, when did you write this beautiful poem? Uh, we, we, we've done that about 12 months ago. In, in yeah, we, we yeah. look... In West Gray, in St. Conan's. Well done. Yeah. And sure, what else would you write about, only the uh, cottage? You I love see, it here, don't you? I do, yeah. What's your favourite job? Uh, gardening. Gardening. One what's of my favourites. Don't tell me, what's your least favourite job in the cottage? Uh, uh, you can't even think of continue. Oh, no. my, you love yeah. it so much. Well done. Yeah. Well, tell me, the floor is yours, Seamus. Read yeah. your, I would love to hear your poem yeah. this morning. Off yeah. you go. Okay. There's a lovely tea room in Lockmore. The entrance is a red half door. The menu holds such rare delays. To bring your hunger bang to waste. Like a toasted sandwich, our mini fry, our coffee cake with cream piled hay. There's coffee and there's tea scallone. Like chamomile green, or many more. There's flowers and herbs for all to see, enjoyed by the cosmos and honeybee. The tea room is not far away. I like to visit every day. I travel with Mary and help where I can. I like more tea room, biggest fan. Hey, Bulabos, well done, Seamus. Excellent. Well done, Seamus. Now, we're going to talk, uh, we yeah. talked a little bit about the history as well, and we're going to focus a little bit on the castle, of course. And Roisin is with us because the castle, of course, a very striking uh, visual landmark in the village as well. And although I suppose that maybe people might be disappointed that they couldn't go in maybe to see it officially or to explore it a bit more, tell us what the plans are for the future conservation of the castle. I suppose, well, Alison, as you said, it is an iconic um, site. Anyone that has travelled the train from Cork to Dublin has passed it. Um, it is absolutely, I mean, it's very unique. It's a beautiful structure tied in an extra 
inextricably to the, the history yeah. and the heritage of Lockmore. Um, so I was delighted when Tom and Catherine from the local development group contacted me to have a chat about it. Um, and I suppose in my role as the heritage officer, we're always looking to engage with communities and to protect and I suppose secure our heritage into the future. So we're very lucky at the moment that the Department and the National Monument Service have a community monuments fund, which is there for that purpose. It's to support landowners and the councils that own these. I mean, we've thousands of these archaeological sites yeah. around the county. Um, and, you know, we do need to kind of actively move in to protect them. Uh, so last year we put in an application and we got funding to get a conservation team down to look at the site. And I suppose to look at it in the context of how it's doing, is it vulnerable structurally, how it's feeling, and I suppose to get a feel for the history of it. So we were very lucky to have Margaret Quinlan, who's a conservation architect. We had DKP, which is a conservation engineering firm. We had Fiona, um, uh, an ecologist, Fiona, and we had an archaeologist. And we also had, uh, because the technology... Uh, because the technology that's available today, we had a company that came in and that they laser scanned it and wow. were able to do 3D images. And I suppose you can see it's a couple of stories high yeah. with drone footage. Now we can look in at the top, we can see how the top walls and everything are doing. So we got this absolutely amazing report that, I mean, it's the, talking about the history of it, talking about how it was built. I mean, it built up a real picture of the sense of what an imposing building it was on the landscape. And I suppose one of the things that really stuck out to me was up there one day with the ecologist and she was talking about the variety of plants that were around and we were all used to seeing kind of moss and ivy yeah. growing up along these structures. A lot of the planting that was done or a lot of the little herbs that appeared on the wall were actually put there in purpose for things like medicine or they were put there for air conditioning or air freshening wow. back in the day. So like, it opened up a whole treasure trove of stories. So I suppose the plan at the moment really in conjunction with the group and of course with the landowner who's been very supportive of this is to look at the structure and to I suppose to pick out the vulnerabilities and to do some work to ensure that we can secure it and hopefully we can help to protect it against, you know, going forward against things like climate. I mean, we've had a lot of issues around the county yeah. with structures coming down through high winds and, you know, rain and things like that. So it's the protection of this site, really, to conserve it and to ensure that, you know, I mean, it's been there for hundreds and hundreds yeah. of years. We want to make sure that all of these monuments are there for hundreds of years into yeah. the future. So it was a great privilege for me to come down and meet the guys here and to be able to help them to do something like this. And we're looking forward to seeing what unfolds for so will there be the work future. done on the on the castle, or is it just a case of preserving to, no, what's we're there? We're going to do some work on it this year, and as I said, we'll be concentrating really on this, the you know cons conserving and making sure that it's structurally stable. Yeah. So there's a few little issues that we'd like to address this year, but I mean it's a huge site. It, yeah. This is this work, you know, could continue over a number of years, you know. But we're also going to look um, with Catherine and the group here at maybe using some of the information that we got for the conservation plan to maybe do a little exhibition or. To do a booklet about the history yeah. so that we'll be able to kind of spread the story about, you know, Lockmore Castle, Lockmore itself, the Purcell clan. Um, and there's a lot of projects that we can work on like that. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to engaging here in Lockmore yeah. for another couple of years and, and to kind of get that The future out. is bright. Roisin, thank you so much. Lovely thank to talk to you today. Thank That's Roisin O'Grady there from Tipperary County Council. Uh, Catherine, come on in here. Oh. Do you know what? I'm always proud to be a Highland, but every time I come here, I think, God, I wish I was a Purcell. I get to go to all the parties. Tell us what's happening in June because this is a huge event. Yeah, this is a massive event. I'm actually involved with a parcel society which links all parcels throughout the world. Um, we have 230 international people coming here and we want to showcase Lockmore 
to them. So, of course, all their deposits are paid. We're having a three-day event in June. But, of course, the saving the best to last. Because our last day here will be in Lockmore, where we will be having what we're calling the parcel picnic. So this is going to be a massive event. and we will have bands at it and our main lady will be Mairead Nesbitt who is from her own village so she's going to be our main lady on on stage and she is massive over in the US so this is a very treat for everybody on the day. I mean what was the reaction you got when you kind of decided you'd have this personal family gathering? Oh very positive we were hoping to have it a couple of years ago but unfortunately with Covid we had to postpone it but I suppose like people don't realise what the parcels throughout the US and Canada and Australia think about Lockmore and only this year alone I have visited say six families of parcels who have come over from Australia and the US and I've taken them for tours around Lockmore and gone through the history of everywhere and like it's been amazing days like mm. you know and these people would class it as their highlight of yeah. their holiday because their whole draw is to come back here do you know so like we have people who want to spread ashes etc mm. in Lockmore because this is their draw you know this yeah. is on their final wish it's a know? great idea for other villages to kind of feed into that like the old families of an area if they come together like that and really showcase their history and their importance to a community I mean this could be replicated everywhere really can't it oh amazing I suppose Lockmore Castle the Purcells lived in it for over 500 years so even though I'm not in the castle I'm not far from it so I would consider myself to stay going as long as I can and I suppose in my lifetime I am so happy that this works now has been carried out. I suppose when we went to the council, we were hoping and dreaming that yeah. something like this would happen. And when they decided that they'd agree with us that this is a monument that has to be looked at, you know, I, I can't explain. It was like winning the lotto because at last, you know, I suppose for my lifetime that I now will see the structure yeah. being held that it's not going to fall, you know. Do you ever pass it and go, that's my castle? Uh, yeah, on the QT, yeah. Uh, well, I'd have to ask Jimmy very nicely. Maybe someday I win the lotto, you never know. There we'll could be a envelope going in that, you know, but I'd love it. Yeah, look, at it. it's, it's when you walk into the castle, you feel it, like, you know, yeah. and like I'm working with Cork Supernatural Society now who are really? going to come to Lockmore and spend a night in the castle. So I know I'm a bit of Brilliant. a mad girl, but I will be with them that night and yeah. see what kind of spirits. Why, do you through. think there, there's something there? Oh, there's definitely yeah. something that went online, you well, know. Tell me the story. I love it. What, yeah. what, what kind of experiences have you had there that led you to I, I believe know, I know back in the day people would have, a, you know, I suppose we know about the wild boar and stuff and people would have said they would have heard the wild boar certain times. And I suppose as a child when I came out here, my uncles would have always kind of told us stories about people going into the field and not being able to get out. Oh, yeah. and, do you know, that kind of thing. Cover your ears, children. Cover <laughs> your ears. But um, I'm sure it's just someone like me, the mad witch here now, could be more haunted now than anyone else. But I suppose it will be an event that they're going to look at the Abbey and they're going to look at the castle that, that night and just see if we can get anything out of it. Yeah. But it's something, again, that's different to the area. Yeah. It's something that's not done everywhere. And, you know, if something different will be done, it'll be done in Lockmore, I can tell that's you that. Fair play to you. Anyone who's looking for information then on the Purcell gathering, where can they go to for that? Yeah, so if at the moment, if you go into the Purcell Society website, it'll give you the interest, the focus on it, and then we will be putting up our own um, ad on the Purcell picnic, which will be the one-day event. So at the moment, there's a three-day event which is all sold out 
um, and now we will be linking a one-day event, which is the final day, which is in Lockmore. So yeah, whether, whether you're a person or you're a descendant or you're just someone out to have a good time on a day, this is the place to be. And we are hoping that people will, where possible, dress in the Victorian style or, oh, you know, so people will dress in their, their own gear and, and make be part of it because we yeah. all want to bring ourselves back to the 1200s, 1300s and no better girl to do it, you know. Lovely to talk to you. Great to see you again. Great. Thanks Thank so much. And I'm sure we'll talk to you in the run-up to the event as well. Best of luck with it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thank Catherine. You. Give Catherine a bula bus there as well. Now, where's Tom Larkin? Tom Larkin, come on up here to me. Uh, Tom didn't have to venture too far this morning. Tom, you're only kind of next door, basically, at the mill. Tell me, I, last time I was here, you were doing great work at the mill. What's the plan for the mill? Well, uh, going forward, Alison, first of all, you're very welcome here. Great to, to be here. Thank you. This morning. Um, uh, we've uh, the, the, the plan going forward is to develop it into some kind of a tourist attraction, be it a uh, be it a, a Airbnb or whatever you know. Yeah. And uh, we're in the pro- we're in the process of uh, you know uh, uh, developing the mill, so we are you know. So mm. r- that's our objective, you know. Now, of course, we have to have our meetings with Roshi. Oh, Roshi, uh, yeah. It's a conserved building and. We have to talk with the have pre-planned meetings and so on and so forth. But that's our plan going forward, so it is for the yeah. itself, you know. Uh, but the view to it is having accommodation then. I'm sure Catherine Purcell will be delighted. She'll have all the parcels then. She'll be able exactly, to house them all there. Exactly, <laughs> Catherine. Of course, yes. But what's very interesting, you know, um, it's it's just amazing, like, the, the, the tea rooms, you know, uh, say, during the summertime, mm. the amount of people who are rambling up and down yeah. the village here, you know, Tourism, uh, you know, for, you know, for, uh, people in from, you know, foreigners, you know, but, uh, you know, they, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting. It's something we should be able to, uh, yeah. you know, tap into going forward. You I know, know Janji has has been saying it a lot as well, trying to get people out of the main centres like Cashel and Thurles. Even though it's great to have them there, but look, come wider out as well. There's more to see outside absolutely, of there. Absolutely, uh, absolutely, Alison, and. Uh, you know, it's surprising also, you know, there's a, an international tourist market there to be tapped into too yeah. going forward, you know. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, uh, you know, we have to take advantage of all these opportunities. Like, my own personal view about communities is that um, communities are going to have to start looking after themselves. You know, now, yeah, you know, our county councils, we have a fantastic relationship with our own county council here. Uh, you know, they the, the, the support us in every way they can. Mm. Is that uh, with the your work with the Development Committee? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Alison, absolutely. But uh, like I said, you know, communities are going to have to take responsibility, you know, not just, you know, throughout the country, yeah. you know, for uh, looking after their own, uh, their, own, their own areas and developing their own... Um, you know, and driving it on. Driving it on, exactly, yeah. exactly, yes. And nobody does that better than here in Lockmore, Tom? No, absolutely not. I've been chairman of the development group for the last four or five years, you know. But to be quite honest, Alison, you never feel like you're the boss or the chairman. Yeah. They're all chairmen, you know. Everyone has a contribution to make, so they have, you know. And, uh, you know... Um, you know, they're, uh, it's a very vibrant commu- yeah. community, so it is here. Yeah. But I'm sure that's 
that's you know you know that's that's everywhere you know yes. it's just to tap into the talent in these communities is is the yeah. whole thing so it is you know so Tom, thanks so much for talking to us we wish you all the best with the mill i look forward to staying there soon some night absolutely alison <laughs> you're more than welcome and thanks Tom. so much great to talk to you tom okay. uh, we have some kids as well from the school who are here from lockmore national school angela is here angela john i'm going to talk to you first angela I always love and I'm always quite envious of the relationship the cottage and the school have here. You've such a lovely close relationship. What I always remember is Mary telling me about how the sixth class would come down for their breakfast on the last day of school before they finish up. I love that. Yes, we're very lucky. We have a great, um, very supportive community here in Lockmore and nothing epitomises the community more than the cottage. It's the hub of everything. Yeah. Looking around here today, there's a cross-section of people like that help us in so many ways, whether it's sacramental preparation or helping us to maintain the school grounds or people on the board of management, parent association. Everybody here has a role to play in supporting us up in the school. Yeah. And Mary always includes us, even today, to ask us down. Yeah. Um, she never forgets us. The children are regularly come down here throughout the year. And you may be aware that we have two... Um, classes dedicated to the education of autistic children in yeah. our school and quite often we're teaching life skills and social skills and the, ch the children from those classes in particular frequent the cottage to learn yeah. a lot of those skills from, um, from the lovely ladies down here so supportive yeah oh it's great and we're going to talk to some of the kids here as well john what class are you in john uh, i'm in sixth class sixth class uh, tell me about uh, you're going to tell me about the vegetable garden because i love this idea tell me about it uh, so you, we have a biodiversity project and um, we're a polytunnel and um, we grow vegetables for a cottage and um, they would make us some nice soup for us Lovely. and we also have a student council and a green schools committee where you would like, on the green schools committee you would pick up rubbish around the school and on the student council you would like make ideas for what to do in the school. That's a great idea. A student in national school. Angela, you're putting a lot of schools to shame here now. What are your favourite vegetables to grow for the cottage, John? Uh, I like to grow um, carrots and spuds and... Yeah? Yeah. Are they easy or are they hard? I... I don't know. You don't know. You'll keep going anyway. Yeah. But I'm sure Mary is delighted anyway. You're helping her with it. Well done to you. Yeah. And Lauren is here as well. Lauren, you tell me... Uh, you, I know you come to the cottage regularly. Tell me about the kindness award that you have going as well. So Mary and the cottage have donated a kindness award to our school. It's uh, at the end of each year. One of the students will be picked by uh, the, all the teachers and it just it shows how kind they've been over the year and... It teaches us how to be good community members. Oh, I'd say it's hard to pick a winner for that, is it? Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, and what class are you in, Lauren? Sixth class. Sixth class. Tell me, what is it like growing up in a community like Lockmore? Do you have fun here? Do you enjoy it? I bet you're never bored. Yeah, you never get bored That's around great. Lockmore and the cottage and everything. They used to be down the road. It's been here all the time when I was growing up when you go yeah. down have a treat you go in and grab a 50 cent mix or what not yeah well done and Joanne then as well isn't it what are you going to talk to me about then Joanne um, you're all right what class are you in first of all I'm in third class third class what's your favorite subject maths maths well done and tell me you're going to talk to me as well today about um what is it oh the, the uh, yes tell me about the old song because Angela was telling me about this at the beginning Remember, was it, there was a verse in it, I was told, that was only about men. Was that right? Yeah. That's not fair, sure it's not. So what did you do instead? You wrote a verse for about women in it as well and added it in. Yeah. We well did. done. That's, do you enjoy singing that song? Yeah. Do you get a lot of homework, lads? 
No. Some one says yeah, one says no. Are, are you a Miss Dunn or a Moon Tour Dunn? We go by our first names. Oh, do you? Actually, so I'm just Angela. Just Angela. We might ask Angela if there's no homework maybe tonight, could we? Oh, no. I'd be more than happy to grant that. <laughs> Absolutely. Excellent. I know you're going to, you might sing me a little verse of that song then as well. Are you, you don't have to now if you don't want to. No, I'll yeah. sing the one we wrote. Yeah, Lauren's well able. Okay, I'll count you down, okay? Three, two, one, go. Now the women of Lockmore are mighty, you see. Creative and caring with hospitality. A trip to the cottage with greetings galore. We are blessed with the women of lovely Lockmore. Turaloo, Turaloo. We are blessed with the women of lovely Lockmore. Excellent. Well done, Gullivan. Well done, everyone. Thanks a million. Uh, we're going to go. My old flower, Tom McGrath. Come on up here, Tom. It is your turn. Because, of course, uh, Lockmore is very well known for its amazing and very successful GA group. There's a lot of us in the small clubs, Tom, that look up here and go, Jeepers, how did they do that? And they're only about the same size as us. I mean, the successes of the club here has been outstanding, hasn't it? Well, I suppose, yeah, we're, I suppose we, are a, we are a small club, but big in heart, really. Uh, talking to John Gerder earlier, like, and he can remember when Lockmore were pushed over in Hurling, like, but that, that changed, like, yeah. and, but... No, I suppose your box, your box above your box above your weight is, is a, a term they use. Like, but I suppose team team spirit, pride in pride in place is what the cottage is about here. But yeah. but pride in in your deeds as well, and is, you know you're measured by your deeds. I suppose, and so, the first thing in the GA world or the sporting world generally is that. Uh, first is first was a placard was in the dressing rooms above in the rag years ago. First is first, and second is last. Yeah. Um, We've had our last as well. We've had a lot. We've had a good lot of force. We've been very fortunate in that. I suppose back along the years, and that will continue into the future. But the, there's a lot of seconds as well. Like and second, second is that we've lost. We've lost as much or more than we've won. But that's the way the team works out. Yeah. Uh, Sixteen teams will set out in the Senior Hurling Championship this year. They'll only one and win. So there'll be 15 losers. So mm. kind of the aim is to get as far as you can and Perfect. work from there. But no, great, great bunch of. Great bunch of lads, and yeah. us the girls. The girls are operating as well now. Yeah. Ladies football team, two successive county finals. Incredible. Yeah, and girls hurl, they hurl then with drum and inch. We haven't uh, not enough girls at the moment, yeah. but uh, the way the demographics are going at the moment, I think that's going to that's going to change. Absolutely. Hopefully, anyway. Tom, lovely to talk to you. Great to see you again. Thanks lovely a million, awesome. uh, Father Dooley As well, we're going to chat to you maybe uh, a little bit. I know I only have a few minutes left, but. Um, I know, of course, historically, and John G can come in on this as well, historically we spoke about it as well, John, and the Cormac brothers, of course, one of the big historical stories uh, from Lockmore. Absolutely, I think that. And I just wonder, I, with Father, you know, was this the, the Cormac brothers were obviously kind of hung out to dry? And I just wonder, this was, I think, the ascendancy didn't like what they were up to. I just wonder, you know... Was this kind of the last time that the ascendancy in Ireland the old, were able to control things before the changes came about and the, the, the power moved to the ordinary people? Well, that would be true, very much true. The police involved at the time, they were anxious to get somebody mm. because somebody had been shot. Mm. He was a land agent who was shot in the year 1857. And the police, anyway, they came to the conclusion that this was a revenge shooting mm. because the man that was shot was alleged to have fathered a child on one of the Cormac's uh, sisters. Yeah. Uh, 
when I came to the parish, I wasn't sure that that was the actual fact. But when I looked at the baptism register, mm. I found that this particular lady who had the, the illegitimate child, John Ellis, was not the father at all. She, so she, you had the inside track, in other words, she, there. She named the father. And, and the memorial, of course, is still there and is still a very popular um, place for, for people to go to. Thanks for that, uh, Father Dooley. And we're going to finish up. I only have about a minute left, um, but we're going to finish up with a little bit of music. Kathleen, lovely to see you. How are you? Where's Kathleen? Oh, sorry, Kathleen, you're right in front of me. Um, tell me, how long are you teaching music to, to people here? I think Geraldine might tell you. Tell you that, but <laughs> right. um, about um, over 50 over years, we had a big Incredible. celebration recently in the hall uh, of um, the Nesbitt family playing yeah. music here and uh, starting up a cultist group. Yeah. So we had a big day presenting. Uh, we presented a bench here to Kathleen and John. And uh, it's here outside. It's at the front, isn't it? At the, the front, yeah. it is indeed. It is indeed. So everyone is welcome to come and sit and play a tune there. And then we had a great day of music up in the hall, piped in by Joe Barry and all the students, past and, and present students were there and lots of well-wishers. Just thanking Kathleen yeah. and John and the Nesbitt family for sharing their music through all those years. Yeah. And you're going to play us out now, actually, and I'm going to just give you a second to prepare. I'm going to count you in a sec but that's it from Lockmore for this morning I could have given an another hour here we just didn't have enough time but if you would like your village to feature as part of the village tour you can get in contact with us tip today at tipfm.com but that's it from a lively and very happy Lockmore everyone say goodbye Fran hey. and we're going to get played out now as well off you go And there we leave the crack in uh, the cottage in uh, Lockmore. Great, great piece there from Ali and uh, everybody involved, John G and all the gang, uh, Tom McGrath, great friend uh, Tom McGrath and all of that. And leaving you there with music from uh, Kathleen Nesbitt, who is an amazing uh, musician indeed. Um, all right, the news is on the way. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie um, one of our listeners saying, Ali, in her element, hearing about a haunted castle. <laughs> yeah, she loves that stuff. She'll probably find some sort of conspiracy uh, up in Lockmore uh, as well. Um, another listener saying, check out the Chinese system before we give up our cash. And that's making reference to a conversation we had in the first hour of uh, the programme. Yeah, it's interesting about that because it seems that uh, uh, China may well be the first uh, completely cashless uh, transaction very, very soon indeed. They're seen as being a pioneer uh, in uh, cashless uh, transactions and uh, all of that. Um, OK, lots more coming into us on various different bits and pieces. I'll glance through it and I'll bring it to you in just a little while. But right now then, uh, many people can often feel unsure and nervous about joining their local gym, especially if it's new to them. Uh, like our listener who wrote to uh, uh, Dear Phil uh, this week, they can feel self-conscious, I suppose, that others are judging them, looking at them, and and it could even lead them to uh, quit. Now, a personal trainer 
from Thurlis Beckham-Bursford wants to offer her advice to anybody who might be a little bit anxious about beginning their fitness journey. Good morning to you, Becca. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Lovely to talk to you and thank you for coming on with us. You can easily understand, I suppose, from your experience that people are a little bit anxious. Absolutely, absolutely. It's literally the scariest thing I ever even did myself just to walk into a gym. Um, just the first step is just reaching out, but walking in the door is definitely the scariest time ever. And what is it about it that's scary? Is it this notion that we have, Becca, that people are watching us and judging us and looking at us, particularly, I suppose, if, if the old body isn't in perfect shape? Um, everybody feels like it. I don't know what it is. It's just, it's a, it's a new environment. You don't know anybody and you don't know what, what to expect. Some people, like, because I train new people every day, they just think that they're doing things wrong and then they think everybody's looking at them when, in fact, everybody's just doing their own thing. It takes a while to get into. Some people don't laugh and they're just too scared and, and I completely understand that. But you just need a little bit of help. My advice definitely would be to just hire a coach definitely just to put a plan in place and just check in and and have somebody to motivate you it's next to impossible to walk into a gym not know anything and just you don't know what you're doing everybody needs a bit of help every pt or coach that i know has their own coach as well once you have somebody there shouting you on telling you what to do and giving you help it just becomes that bit easier yeah, it's it's interesting. And have you seen people go from you know being overweight and breathless when the, when they start out to being able to enjoy the gym experience? I suppose one hundred percent. I see it every day. So we get new we get new people every single day, and it does take them a couple of weeks to get stronger, get fitter. Their activity levels do rise over time. You just have to have a bit of confidence in yourself to keep going. But I do understand. Like the first two or three weeks are hard. If you haven't done any movement and you're going in and you're doing, like, say, carry or weight, it is going to be tough, but it does get easier. Yeah, and I presume the welcome is very important, Becca, because I would, I'd be a bit of a couch potato now, to say the least, but I remember joining <laughs> a gym many, many years ago, and I met this guy when I went in who was kind of the resident trainer, and he kind of put me off. And he, I, I, I wasn't impressed with him at all. So therefore, I stopped going. Yeah, one, I, I understand that. It's all about how you're welcomed. Yeah. If you're going into a gym and they don't say hi or you're not approached, you're going to feel really insecure and you're not going to feel important. Yeah. And how do you go about making... Again, if if, if I presented myself to you, and to say the least, I don't have a six-pack um, or even an eight-pack, but uh, yeah. how would you make me feel secure and how would you make me feel welcome, Becca? Well, see, I work in a community gym, so it's different from a commercial gym. I'm not bashing commercial gyms at all, but, like, you're greeted the minute you come in the door. You're brought into the office for a chat and we talk about your goals and where you want to be in a couple of months' time, we, we put a plan in place for you. And I'm there every step of the way for the training session. So you're not left on your own. Yeah. and It's really important to get a good welcome because the first day is the hardest day and that's when you need, that's when you need comfort. Of course it is. And just tell me the difference. You're, you're working in a public gym and you're, you're making a comparison there to commercial gyms. Is that it? So basically, I work in a community gym. Um, it's like group personal training. Um, now, I do train in commercial gyms myself, mm. but in my gym, it's all personal training. So there's always someone there beside you, training you, helping you, any questions you have. 
that's different than a commercial gym. If you go into a commercial gym, like you're just paying your membership and you're you're working away yourself. So for anybody new, I would suggest getting a PT first just to get a bit of help. And then when you're comfortable heading off and doing your own thing at a commercial gym, I wouldn't advise starting off in a gym and have no plan in place or something like that because like usually then people don't stay doing it. So that would be definitely what I would do first. That's what I wish I did when I started. Yeah, and but I mean, if you just went into a gym without a plan, Becca, you wouldn't have a clue, sure. I mean, where would you start? No. You know, no, it's like a it's like a park. All the machines you wouldn't know what to do. I walk into gyms in cities that I've never been to before, and those machines I I don't even know how to use. And I'm a PT, so right. I completely understand that you need a plan in place and you need a coach to help you, and they will help you as well. Were you always into fitness? Were you always a, a, a gym person? Um, I wasn't always a gym person. I'd say I'm gym in about five years now. Yeah. But I was a boxer for six years. I did boxing. Wow. And so, yeah, I've been to fitness since I'm about 13. So I was boxing six years. Then I got injured and I was told I couldn't do it anymore. So I just tried the gym. I went in and I didn't have a clue. And I just tried it. I ended up loving it. Um, about three years in then, I did my course. I got qualified and I got the knowledge I need. But that took me three years to get the knowledge I needed, you know. Like, if I had to go back, I would definitely get a coach and just put a plan in place straight away. Uh, but look, who was I to know? Do you know what I mean? Of That's course, definitely yeah. what I would do, though. Yeah. I, I, I presume the common problem is that people are too adventurous for the first yeah. few few occasions. Would, would that be fair to say? Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah. Um, you just need a ba- like You just need a basic plan. You don't need to do all this crazy stuff. You just need a plan that simple enough and that you're consistent with and then you will see progress if you're doing loads of different crazy stuff that you see online on tiktok you're not going to really benefit from that but obviously any new person isn't to know that so i get that as well and do you go for a mix of cardio and weights or where where would you focus people so everybody's different I everybody every single client that I have is different and I'm different myself so I do like a ridiculous amount of steps every day I do like 35,000 so like that's my cardio I only do weights because my cardio is done now if I was like if somebody came into me that had an office job or a sitting mm. down job yeah. we would have to use cardio then because the movement is low so we'd be doing a bit of both very good just repeat that to me though did you, did you say you do 35,000 steps yeah, I would do about 35,000 steps of work. Yeah, yeah, a lot, yeah. Good God, I was struggling at one stage to get it up to 10,000. I don't think I ever got near 10,000. I know. Yeah. Look, it's just the job. If it was any other job, there's no way I'd have that many. But I run around the gym, like, for nearly 12 hours a day training people. Other than that, like I said, if I didn't have that job, I wouldn't have to introduce cardio. But I'm, I'm happy enough with the steps now. Of course. Yeah. Can I read you two lines from the letter we got? And I'd love your response to it, Becca. Of um, th- yeah. th- this lady says, I only go to the gym three or four times a week, which I think is a lot. But anyway, but anyway she goes on to say, but I always feel really old and out of place. I'm much heavier than a lot of people there. And it makes me really self-conscious. What would you say to that lady? I understand that. I get it completely because it just all depends on what gym you choose to go to. Like I was saying, our gym is kind of like a community gym. Now, not just our gym. There's loads, like there's CrossFit. There's loads of different gyms that are like community gyms that would have a mix 
of ages. It would have young people, it would have old people, all shapes, all sizes, and everybody's lovely. It, it would help. It would help her to go in to see friendly faces every yeah, single day yeah. and maybe make friends instead of loads of different strangers, loads of young people. Like it's, it's daunting to walk into. So I do understand that. It's just about picking a gym that would suit you. Like my advice would be like to anybody that is listening that wants to start off and they don't know what to do and, and they feel like that. Just start off with like maybe a four or eight week package in a in a in any kind of gym around the town. You kinda have to you kinda have to shop around and see what suits you. I wouldn't go ahead and get like a year membership and then you're kind of after losing out on a lot of money. It does take a bit of time to find what suits you. But there is gyms with all ages, all sizes, and it's, it's not not every gym will be like that. That's an excellent piece of, of advice. You're you're working. Is it AOC Fitness? You are on on the Abbey Road there in Thurles, is it? Yeah, AOC Fitness. Yeah. Yeah, and and do you still have places there, Becca? I do. Yeah, I have one to one slot, and we're still taking people on for the gym itself for group training. We are right. And how can they can they drop into you, or can they? Book online with you? How? What's the best yeah, way to so do that? If they haven't, I see. Have we lost Becca? Becca B Fitness on Instagram. You you just Becca dropped you just dropped out there for a moment, Becca. Just say that again in terms of people contacting you. Yeah. So if if they have Instagram, mm-hmm. it's Becca B Fitness, and I have my website as well. It's BeccaBFitness dot com. So they can do it through that, or they could literally pop in the door to me in AOC and we'll have a free consultation and we'll just have a chat. No Very problem. good. And is it fair to say, Becca, that whatever condition you're in, have a chat? 100%. I'm happy to help anybody that comes through that door. All right. Well, lovely to talk to you, and thanks for joining us today, Becca. Thank you. Good morning Thanks to for having you. me. Bye-bye to you now. Let us go to uh, Alicia. Now, Alicia, good morning to you. And uh, lovely to talk to you. And again, you're in touch with us in response to that uh, Dear Phil letter. You're an avid gym goer, I believe, but you were a beginner yourself. Yeah, so I've been going consistently for about two years now. But, like, when I started out, I'd say I was in the exact same boat. I had such anxiety. And, you know, I was always afraid that people were judging me as well. So I know exactly where she's coming from. Mm. And why do you think... Um, or why were you of that mind that people were judging you, Alicia? Oh, I don't know. Like, it's just kind of, you know, when you go in, it's like there's, like, a lot of people that's very, like, new to me as well. Like, I never knew how half the machines worked or anything like that. So it is a bit daunting, I suppose. But I guess it's just kind of like that mindset that you think people would judge you. But it's it's not really like that. I guess once I actually got, you you know, you ease yourself into it. So. Yes. It's actually about, like, once, I think, after the first week, I decided I'd make a plan before going into the gym. So, like, I knew exactly what I was doing, and it made me a lot more confident. And I think that is, like, key before you go in. Right. So, do you think the mistakes some people make, and maybe this lady, in fact, just going to the gym, no plan, having being daunted by all of these various machines, that that probably would put you off anyway. Yeah, because you just be so confused. And so when I, I did a bit of research like online and stuff because like I couldn't get a PT. So I just did some research. I made myself like a week plan and then I would go in and if it was like a new gym, I would like spend the first 10 minutes just like sussing out the gym, like stay on the treadmill and just look around to see what I would actually need. 
And then I would go through my plan. I'd focus more on making sure I was doing the right thing. And then I would just, I would get more distracted in my own workout than I would be more conscious of people looking at me. And with your experience uh, then, do you feel sorry for people who are in the gym for the first time and they might be self-conscious? And... Well, like, I guess you have to kind of think of everyone was in that same boat. Like, even the people that have been, like, advently, like, going to the gym for years, like, they all started out somewhere. They all had been in the exact same place. So, I mean, you actually, you, you make friends along the way. Like, you know, you ask people how to explain a machine or to spot you even. So, like, it's just kind of more about getting that confidence to approach other people and then it'll just be a lot easier. Now, I need you to tell me something because I must have started and stopped in gyms like 20 times over the years. I really, really did and failed miserably every single time. At what stage, Alicia, does it become enjoyable? And really, be honest with me now, does it become enjoyable? Yes, it does. Like, I actually, the first, I'd say, month or two, like, just, Getting into the rhythm of it is hard, but I say, like, I actually love this. Now, I have stopped recently because of, like, I went back to school, but um, I actually love going to it. It was actually brilliant. Like, you enjoy, you make your friends, you find your own, like, community, and it's very nice to go. Like, people, like, will welcome you when you're there, and, you know, you can, like, make workouts with other people, and it's just kind of, it's a nice experience then. All right, you you've sold it to me. I might I might yeah. even try again. Uh, I, I I love the fact you 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 say I'm going back to school, but you've gone back to college. What, you're going to have to help me with this. You were studying immersive software engineering. What in the name of God is that, Alicia? <laughs> um. So yeah. So basically, it's like I want to develop. You can develop like apps or websites or anything. It's basically like you know a lot of coding and stuff. But we will like go into like hardware and AI and stuff like that. It's a lot of technical things, but no, it's, it's actually very enjoyable. And, and what about our concern, uh, particularly if you're my age, that AI is going to take over the world? Um, <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you making of AI? Um, well, right now, like, I think it's a very useful tool, especially when it comes to learning anything. I mean, you have so many AIs online that you could just ask random questions and yeah. they'll help you out. So it is very useful for, like, getting information on anything. I don't think it's going to take over the world. (laughs) Um, But, you know, we'll see in the future how AI develops. It hasn't been around for that long yet. And is there a possibility, I mean, from your experience of looking at this, I mean, is there a possibility that these softwares can think for themselves in some way? Uh, Well, that's kind of like AI. Like, you give AI, like, information, and then it would, like, learn from what you've given it. Yes. But for it to think on itself out of that, that doesn't actually work yet that I know of. Yeah, I see. I'm not I'm not sure which concerns me most, going to the gym or AI. I'll, <laughs> I'll have to think about that. Uh, Alicia, it was a real pleasure to talk to you and thanks for coming on with me. Thank you and good morning to you. Thanks very much. That's a, a very fit uh, Alicia there telling us about her gym experience. So look, if you're thinking of the gym... You know, present yourselves there, chat to the people involved. It seems, from what I'm hearing, that a personal trainer who will look after you and ease you into it seems to be rather vital to your success there. But uh, anyway, let me know how you're getting on, will you? 083-311-3311. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. If it matters to you, 
It matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Yeah, one of our listeners says, all the banks want us to pay with uh, the card or tapping because they charge 20 to 30 cents per transaction. Everything just gets uh, dearer. If we're going cashless, then card transactions uh, need to be scrapped. Well, I presume you, you mean the, the, the payment on the uh, transaction. Anne is in third and she says, funny what you said about China uh, being a cashless society. Uh, must be the reason that all the Chinese restaurants opening in our area only take cash. I wonder why. Um, is that true, Anne? Is that true? I don't know. I, I'm very fond of the odd Chinese uh, takeaway, and I often pay with my phone, but there you go. After a conversation about the World Health Organization urging the government to ban flavoured vapes, uh, Johnny got in touch with us to share his observations on vaping, and he joins me now. Good morning to you, Johnny. Good morning, Sam. How are you? I'm very well. Lovely yes. to talk to you. It's been a while, Johnny. How are you? Yeah, it is. Nice. I'm above ground. Uh, well, above that's, ground. that's the whole thing. What, what uh, do you think about vaping, Johnny? Well, I, I wouldn't... Uh, now, I'm a heavy smoker. I do about 40 a day. Do and you? Oh, I, my God. I do, yeah. And I'm, I'm smoking 68 years, and they haven't killed me yet. <laughs> but uh, I'm working on it. <laughs> And would you not think of vaping? No. No, not a hope. No, no. i give you an example. I was down in the hospital in Limerick there a few, some months ago. Mm. And next thing, I was called in anyway in front of the doctor, and he said, are you still smoking? I said, I am, and I have no intention to give them up, I said. Now, he said, would you not consider vaping? And I said, are you for real, doctor? I said, we know what's in the bloody bag. We don't know what's in the vapes. And, and that's why you... And did you ever try and give up over the years, Johnny? I gave them up for 11 weeks one time and I went back twice as heavy on them then. Did you? But 40 a day is quite, quite quite a lot. And do you have any health issues because of it? I have a good few, but sure, I, I'll manage them as well as I can. I'll keep going as long as I can. I'll die when I can't help it. <laughs> I love your attitude. What are you seeing at bingo, though? Yeah, I see that... You know, at the interval there now, uh, we go out for a fag. Mm. And there's at least 10 to 1 ratio of women smoking, vaping to men. So much more women vaping. Oh, geez, about 10 to 1, I'd say. Yeah. It's a, it's a sight to see now when, when they go out there, especially in gold, and there'd be a, a right crowd out there smoking or vaping. And, and and what what do you make of that? I mean, what what are you reading into that? Well, they're saving money, but sure, I mean, when we die, the money is left after us, isn't it? So you may as well spend it while you have it. Well, I've always uh, gone along with that uh, particular notion: spend it while while you have it, indeed. Um, and it, it, does it concern you what's contained in the vape then in the product itself? Not not, not one bit, because I have no intention to use. Right. Yeah. No, not a bit, Fran. And, uh, and the by peop- the way... Yes, Johnny, yeah. By the way, did that crowd that went to Lockmore this morning, did they genuflect when they were going into the parish? <laughs> I don't know, but I'll ask Ali for you. Why would ask they have Ali. genuflected? Uh, look, at the, look at the history of that parish. Oh, that's fantastic, isn't it? Brilliant, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm a now Lockmore man myself, you see. Are you? I didn't know that. I am. Oh, God, I am. I'm one of the burdens. Oh, very good. And and why why yeah. were you, why were you barred out of it? <laughs> well, for smoking. 
No, God, no. I was smoking a long time before I left Longmore. I was smoking at ten and a half years of age. Ah, stop. I was. I went following the wren one day, myself and a friend of mine, and we got enough of money to buy two packets of woodbines, and I never looked back. <laughs> You're a gas man. Can you remember back to the first one? Were you sick? or? I was sick for about a week because we smoked a full ten oh, in, I'd say, about two hours. Ah, stop. Stop. No yeah, wonder well, you were sick. I was as sick as a dog for about a week. But you persevered. Oh, God, I did, yeah. I thought it tasted lovely. <laughs> and w- I'd recommend them to anybody. Ah, stop. <laughs> Are you trying to get me into trouble now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll all be saying, now, Johnny was on with Fran Curry recommending that people would smoke. Yeah, oh, that's all yeah, I need now, yeah. you know. But you're well other than smoking 40 a day. I am, I am. Yeah, for now, lad, seventy-eight. I'm doing okay. Well, fair play to you. And you, what are you saying about vaping? Then it's it's a no for you from you, is it? Well, no, I would. We we know what's in the bloody cigarette. We don't know what's in the vape. You don't know what's in the vape. Well, that's for sure. Johnny, good to talk to you today. Got a mil mahagat, and uh, thank you uh, for that. Let us go to uh, Donald now. Donald, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you. I, I love your description of yourself, Donald, if you don't mind my putting it out there. You said <laughs> that you're a bit of a community activist. <laughs> well, uh, in, a, in a modest sort of a way, Fran. <laughs> I love it. You were listening to John and Helen speaking about a cashless society and all of that. What, what are you making of it, Donald? Well, to be honest, Fran, you see, if we all go to the card system, while it might be convenient, mm. uh, it's also a form of control. Yeah. Because when you use your card, uh, a lot of people know what you're spending it on um, because there's no such thing as a secure network. Anyone who believes that is in cloud cuckoo land. Yeah, it's I not agree. possible. Yeah. Uh, so a profile will be built up of your spending and they'll be able to advertise to you directly, don't you see? And what, let me be devil's advocate on this for a moment, Donald, because I have concerns similar to yourself, to be honest. But why is that such a bad thing? I mean, if, you get, if you're getting ads that are tailored to what you're looking at online and stuff, is that not a good thing? Well, actually, it, it, put it this way. Your information is your information. Um, and it's nobody else's business mm. on your own. Yeah. And if, if they want to buy information or get information off you, then they should be paying you for it. Not um, collecting it and hoovering it up as it was dust on the floor, like. It's a very good point. They're benefiting from the fact that they have access exactly. to your information. Exactly. Ah, yeah, but yeah. there's a, a more sinister element to all of this, too, of course, Fran. Hmm. And it is this. Uh, have you heard of the concept of the 15-minute city? Uh, yes, sort of. Yes. Yes. Do you, want, do you want to briefly explain that now to, to, to listeners? Well, the idea is that uh, you will live in a location mm-hmm. and within 15 minutes of your your location, everything you need will be there for in, you. In that area, theory, yes. Yeah. In theory, at least. Yeah. And you will only be permitted to travel outside that area four or five times a year. Yeah. Now, unfortunately for those on lower incomes, travel outside the area will probably become very difficult because unless you will have an electric car and you can afford to buy one, then you won't be able to go. You know? Yeah, and and what what's the tie up between that? Now that's only a concept, obviously, and the conspiracy oh, no, theorists are jumping on board with that and everything. You know, mm. is being tried in Oxford actually mm. this year, as far as I understand it. And is I think it? the Chinese have, have have it fairly well advanced at this stage. Yeah. 
um, as Mr. Trump said, China, and uh, 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 the, the front of the game, shall we say. Yeah, well, we were just talking about them earlier on. I mean, China is largely a cash, cashless society now, which is all the more remarkable when you take the population into account, Donald, you know? Well, of course, you know, well, you know, now, uh, China's a one-party state, mm, yeah. and uh, there's no such thing as opposition. Mm. And if you dare stick your head above the parapet, well, indeed, you might get it cut off for you. So you're saying it's easy uh, for them to implement anything like this, I suppose? Of course it is. Yeah, and yeah. it suits them because it's another form of control. Control, of course, yeah. But it, that's and the big thing for you, is it? Control, knowing your information, is. knowing your business. Exactly. Uh, as I said to you, like, if people want information, then they should pay for it. And if they want my information, then they're going to pay me for it. <laughs> you know? So, uh, uh, so do you use cash... All of the time, then, or do you use a mixture? As, as often as possible. Okay. Sometimes you, you just can't get near a, a pass machine. Actually, that's another team that's uh, actually of interest. Did you know that in the Isle of Man there are no ATMs? I didn't They're know. They're all that. gone. Are you They're serious? Yes. And what are you supposed to do then? Well, you can go not, to the shop not, and get some cash back and or tap. Right. So but but basically, it's cashless, then, I suppose. More no, or what, less, yeah. yeah. Wow, I didn't um, realise that. But you see, you can see it happening here, even in Nina, like one bank, only business gone, if you like. We're, we're, we're just losing you. You must have moved where you were standing there. You were just losing a little bit, Donald. Oh, uh, as I said, there's actually one less uh, ATM in Nina as of late because uh, a bank branch has closed, you see. Yeah, but um, the government, are they not coming back and imposing that uh, obligation on the banks now that they have to provide extra ATMs? Is that not a new thing? Well, since... well isn't that interesting now that this is an election year as well, you see? Because <laughs> oh, you old cynic, you Donald. <laughs> <laughs> you see, uh, it's amazing what can happen in an election year, Frank. Yes, yeah. You know, uh, uh-huh. when people realise that their seat is up for grabs, and that somebody else might want it. And the fact that they have to go around and visit everybody on their doorstep and face the wrath of the people, well, they have to have something to offer. Yeah, I see certain political parties changing tack on uh, on immigration, for example, in, in the recent weeks. So, again, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's all the bigger reverse engines, like, you know, just in case. <laughs> in case it happens. Uh, John Lowe, the money doctor, was on with me earlier. I'm not sure if you got time to, to listen to him, but I mean, he's a guy who, who knows he's, he's onion, so to speak, and he's saying within 10 years, whether we like it or not, it's going to be cashless, Donald. Well, that's going to make life very difficult for the older generation because uh, still a large proportion of the country does not have broadband. Yeah. Uh, they can't bank online, and not that it would be advisable to do so in the first place. I, I'd be very suspicious of that kind of carry-on. Would, you? would uh, you? Oh, absolutely. It, it's, it's too exposed. Because, it, like... Yeah. Uh, as I said to you, there's no such thing as a secure network. Not, not possible. I suppose, I, now it's in very recent times, I bank online, but I find it so bloody handy, you know? it's. I, I'm sure it is convenient, all yeah. right. Um, but, like, do you, the, the, the ability to go and into your own bank branch or go to your own ATM and get your bit of cash and do what you have to do, because then you know exactly... What you have to spend, Frank. Yes, because I know. if you're tapping away and the card, you see, you could quite quickly run out of cash. Oh, don't, un- don't I your... know, yeah. <laughs> but, but you're right in terms of our own personal security. We're very lax on that. I mean, we'll, we'll hook up to any bit of Wi-Fi we can find, and we have no idea who's accessing our information then, really. 
Well, like, there could be some hairy lad in Nigeria tapping away there, uh, figuring out what you're up to. And I love the way you pick on a hairy lad in Nigeria. <laughs> well, they, they have a reputation for that sort of thing, shall we say. Oh, Lord God, everybody's going to get me into trouble on this programme today. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'd say, I, I can see you're very contrite indeed. Um, yeah, but are, do you go around, are you constantly kind of worried about you know, your accounts and your, your money and your... Well, it's not that I have that much money in the first place, <laughs> but I, I, I'd like to be able to control what I have, like, you know? <laughs> and not have somebody else telling me what to do or how I should do it and all the rest of it. I you see, know? yeah. And and do you think... It's hard it, enough to get it. And do you think it's a nanny state? Is it becoming a nanny state in general, do you think? Well, well we are, actually. When you consider these things in relation to the environment and all the rest of it, like, mm. you know... We're being browbeaten to do this, that, and the other, buy an electric car, have a heat pump, and all the rest of it. Mm. And this whole approach is not being adequately thought out because it's, it's all a fallacy, really. Because What, what, what um, is? Um, the idea that we are going to make a major dent on, shall we say, uh, the environmental mm. uh, concerns in relation to electric vehicles and heat pumps and all that sort of carry on because the electricity that you're uh, generating mm. to power these is actually powered by fossil fuels in the first place. But some some of it largely, yeah, yeah, it's 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 an interesting argument. And I suppose even if we were all to be really good boys and girls here in this country, I suppose the point you're making is how big a dent would it make in the global effort to combat climate change? Uh, yeah. one, one simple statistic, Ben. Seventy mm. percent um, of all global emissions is caused by the top one hundred companies on the planet. Right. That's the low-hanging fruit. That's what we should be going after first. Not browbeating the common man and woman in the street who is the uh, pinnacle collar to make things meet as it is. Just one other thing that I, I just happened to experience it the other day. Mm. We, we currently can't get our own brickets here because they don't exist anymore. That's right. Yeah. You can walk into a certain German multiple in Nina and you can buy brickets sent to us from the fatherland, from Germany. So what 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 are you saying about that then, that the carbon footprint to get the briquettes to us here now? Is... Yeah, it must be colossal. Yeah. But, but they can still make them, but we can't. <laughs> you know? So, so, so and it, they're both in, we're both in the EU, so... What's going on here? Like, so is is this why people get cross? There was a particular image lately that I found really unbelievable, which was Eamon Ryan standing at the airport welcoming the um, the Chinese premier from this colossal airplane with a huge carbon footprint to get him there. China being one of the great polluters of the world, and he welcomed him like they practically hugged. You know, so <laughs> I I'd, I'd say he nearly got down and kissed the ground in front of him. To be quite honest. <laughs> I know, but wouldn't you imagine that? Anyway, sure. Look, you know. But of course, there was a other matter at stake here. There was a certain beef deal that needed to be sorted out. There is, know? yeah, there is. But that's with the TB thing. But again, that could occur. My understanding of that that could occur at any time over the next few weeks. And again, China oh, would shut it down. Could happen, our, it, it, yeah. it could happen again tomorrow. It's yeah. just one of those things that will happen incidentally along the way. Yeah. Like you, you can't predict it, and you just have to deal with it. Of course, that's all you can do. I don't know. Listen, a real pleasure to talk to you, and you give me a laugh as well, Donald. You you look after yourself, won't you? 
I'll do my best to stay electronically remote. <laughs> Good luck, Donald. Good luck. That's it for me. Uh, Leanne uh, produced uh, today. Ellie looks after her content and uh, came live from uh, Lockmore today. Uh, Stephen's on the way with the time, Donald. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Slatterysgarage.ie.